Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. What a Monday night football game. Did you see that with the Raiders and the Ravens? That was insane. If I'm the Ravens defense flying back to Baltimore thinking, wait, we gave up the lead not once, not twice, but three times in the fourth quarter? What were we doing exactly? The only stop they got was because of the clock. That was that was not good. Lamar Jackson is exciting, but those two fumbles, one in the fourth quarter set up a TD, one in overtime set up the game-winning TD. That game had a little bit of everything. By the way, Eli and Peyton on ESPN2 with whoever their guests are, whoever they get to join them, Russell Wilson was really good. Uh, that, that was fun. They said some interesting stuff. It was different. Eli called two things. One, he said, don't go on a hard count of the goal line. They went on a hard count and got backed up, and that led to the turnover. But they got the Lamar Jackson fumble, and when they messed up with getting the kicker on the field because the kicker was at the net warming up and didn't know that they were going to go field goal on second down, he said, oh, get him off the field and run another play. It's too far away now. Sure enough, they do it, and they get the touchdown and win the game. Crazy. Good broadcast, though. There'll be more of that, I am sure. All right, we got to talk college football right now. Utes, Cougars, Aggies. We're going to start with the Aggies, who are 2-0, going to play Air Force, who is also 2-0. Mountain West Conference opener, Blake Anderson, joining PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coach, good morning. Good morning. So start fast. No, excuse me. Start slow, finish fast. That's the go. motto. Get down by double digits, and then turn it on and win the game. Is that going to be the Aggie way, or are you going to be trying to break guys of that this week? I sure hope. I sure hope we can break that uh, trend. That one's stressful for uh, for me and, and and most people around the program. But it is nice to know that that we can and that we don't panic and, and that guys just keep kind of continuing to to play and, and, and trust the process and that we're in good enough shape to get it done when we need to late. So. Uh, but I would I would love to lead in a game. I think that'd be great. <laughs> as long as you got it at the end, I guess that's all that matters. Yeah, as long as you finish with the W, we'll take I'll take ten more in a row, just like that. So the scoreboard obviously speaks to the level of defense in the second half, only giving up three. But you gave gave up twenty one in the first quarter, as we saw. As I ask you to analyze your defense, I'm not a uh, defensive uh, expert by any stretch. But like particularly on that uh, touchdown pass that uh, North Dakota got to the tight end, that little slant, I thought the coverage was at least halfway decent, if not really good. How do you evaluate your defensive performance in the first half? First quarter, we played about as bad as we could play, and, and it, it really we had calls made that should have put us in good position to uh, to be there to make some plays. Should have had a pick on the second play of the game. Two other explosives that they had were just really, really poor eye discipline. We were in man coverage on the one you're talking about, and and the DB peaked in the backfield and just gave up a step or two, and, and it was there close, but should have been you know on that from the beginning and just got himself out of position. Uh, they they ran every trick play in the book in the first half, and and we just didn't defend any of them very well. I thought they had a really good plan and executed it really well, but we we calmed down really just simplified, played the same defensive calls uh, as we had been calling. and Guys did what they're supposed to, and we gave up three points the rest of the game. So that was encouraging. But, man, we we tried our, our best to give it away and in, in, in how we executed early. So is there something about these guys and kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better expression, playing their way into the game? Because three touchdowns on three drives and then three points on nine drives, I mean, it's it's startling. 
Yeah, it is. You don't normally see that kind of turnaround. Uh, physically, we felt like that. Yeah, obviously the matchups were in our favor in most areas. Although you got to give them credit. I think it's a really good football team, and it would not surprise me at all if those guys make it into the playoffs and, and deep in the playoffs again this year. They're very well coached. They are physical, and they know what they can and cannot do. And I think they play within that really well. But we we did, we gave them a lot of help. We, we really played very undisciplined. Uh, got caught up on all the eye candy and, and shifts and motions that they gave us early and, and we just looked like like we didn't know what we're doing and when we calmed down and and just simplified what we're doing and guys did what they're asked to you saw the result we very capable of, of setting those guys down and should have I, I think from the first snap on frustrated with how we started but pleased with how we finished and hopefully that's something we can build off of moving forward because this week with the triple option you, you've got to be exactly where you're supposed to be and take care of the exact assignment that is asked, or you know as well as I, I mean, they're going to have dudes running clean everywhere. Oh, for sure. You know, we've been following uh, Air Force here. Both DJ and I have been in this market a long, long time. And uh, first it was BYU-Utah playing Air Force every every year, and now it's uh, Utah State. So we've been following what Air Force has done, been in the academy many, many times. What's your experience on defending this type of offense you know, we played uh, played Georgia Tech at, at North Carolina. We played Georgia Southern in the past seven years in, in the triple. Uh, even played, you know, Coach DeBerry and his crew when I was at New Mexico with Rocky Long. And I thought Rocky did as good a job defending the triple option as anybody uh, over the course of that time. And so we'll, you know, you, you've got to pick what you want to do, how you want to defend it. And then it, it truly comes down to assignment football. If you've got the dive, you got to take the dive. You can't get caught up looking somewhere else, which is what we did in the first quarter. We we had guys' eyes in the wrong place. They weren't being disciplined, and it showed. And for the next three quarters, they did what they were supposed to do, and it showed there as well. We, we need to learn from this week and go in and, and be very, very technically and assignment sound. I think athletically we can run with them. I think we're physical enough to, to match up okay, but you've got to be exactly where you're asked to be every play or they're going to expose you and they've done that in the past in big ways so um it'll, it'll be a huge test because you it's hard to get ready for this system in a week when you've been seeing spread football and pro style football every week pretty much all year uh, in and out and that we going against ourselves every week in practice this is so unique part of the problem is just being able to simulate it during the week in practice so it looks even close there were a lot of big plays in this game. How much should we expect that out of your team? How much is it that you were playing a uh, uh, an FCS team and there's gonna there there should be a difference athletically there because there were a lot of big plays offensively. Well, I think the way we the way we line down and what we do offensively puts you in a, in a, in a bind. It tries to create opportunities uh, either in a run game, throw game doesn't matter. But it's, it's about the philosophy of what we do, the speed, the tempo, the spread system, how, how we spread the field, uh, you know, drastically spread the field, the way we spread the ball around. Yes, I felt like we were faster than this crew, but I will tell you, they physically can match up with a lot of teams at this level in our league. They are very physical. They are very well built, and they've done a good job of, of developing strength and, and size in the offseason. So uh, there were some matchups speed-wise in our favor, but there, it's a lot less of a – of a difference than you might think. They are they are very well built and, and 
I told John, I, I don't need to see another team from Dakota. I don't care which Dakota <laughs> it is, what direction it is. I don't really need to see those guys on the schedule because they are, they're, they're very well coached and can play. But I would like to think that we have the ability to be explosive on a weekly basis in this offense. We've got, we're getting better and better with it each day that we play in it. The guys are starting to understand it. it helps having a quarterback that understands it as well and played in the system. But guys like DT and, and Brandon Bowling and, uh, Derek Wright's playing great. McGriff, you're going to see Kyle Van, uh, Lewin as well. I mean, those guys fit what we do. And so it does create space and allow for some big plays. So I was going to ask you about the quarterback, Bonner, and he's a transfer coming in, but it's sort of unusual in that, you know, like Utah's got a transfer, he's at someplace else, and he comes in and joins a different team, whereas Bonner's coming in, and even though it's a different team, there's a lot of the same coaches in the system, as you said, how much do you think that is making the transition smooth? Because he's got, if he doesn't have the initial experience with the guys on the team, he has it with the staff. Yeah, I think the familiarity with with me, Coach Cephalo and Coach Premsky and a handful of the guys that came is huge. I mean, he's been with me for six years now. Recruited him from you know from his house and 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 been around his family and been through a lot. I mean, he's been through a couple big injuries, and so we battled through adversity together. He was right there whole time my wife was ill and he was extremely close with her and so there's a lot a lot of uh you know family vibes there with, with us and and I think the great thing about our roster is the fact that the guys that were already here have done an amazing job of of bringing in the new uh transfer players and, and really accepting them and I was talking the other day if you looked in our locker room and you looked at us and we're sitting down eating a meal together when guys are hanging out it, you would not know who was here before and who just came. They have they have completely uh, really become family. They they all uh, enjoy spending time together, and, and you you would be surprised at who sits down with who, who spends time with who, uh, because you're right. It, when you do bring in transfers, you don't you don't ever really know exactly how it's going to connect. And I think all that is helping us have some early success because the the previous players that were here have done such an amazing job of accepting us and accepting the new players that came in. We talked last week. It seemed obvious that uh, Tompkins was going to be the go-to guy, and he was again. But you were talking about having other people emerge, playmakers, you know, who's the guy who can make plays when the defense is just absolutely determined to take Tompkins away. Is bowling that guy? Six carry, uh, six catches, 118 yards, and a score? Uh do you see other guys also emerging? What do you think? Yeah, no, I think I think we have a lot of guys. A lot of weapons are starting to show. Brandon had a big game, and, and he did exactly what we needed him to do. Derek Wright had a big game like he did last week. I think eight or so catches uh, a week ago against Washington State. Had had uh, five, six catches and a big touchdown. Again, this one that really just kind of put the game out of reach. Um, I, I think McGriff is getting better every day. Scarver is going to start getting more and more opportunities. He's been a little dinged up, and people – Obviously, don't want to kick to him, but he's going to start getting the ball more and more on offense. And, and I think there's some younger guys that that are that we've seen in practice that have a chance. And uh, we've always tried to make sure that we we utilize every weapon, every every inch of grass, every weapon, so that you can't dial in to, to one or two guys. Yeah, obviously, DT is phenomenal in space, and when he does get it, he's going to be electric. And people are going to have to know where he's at, but it creates opportunities for other folks. And, and you saw Brandon, Derek Wright. Griff all have some big catches and some big plays that we desperately needed to uh, to get back in, in the lead. 
late in the game and it was already decided. But nevertheless, Peasley's burst of speed on that play was wow, man. He looked like he was 10 times faster than everybody else as he just ran it up the gut there and got in the open so quick in a blink of an eye. Uh, what are your plans for him going forward? We're going to keep him involved and, and have opportunities to get him on the field. He's too good of a player, too good of a kid, and an amazing uh, leader. His work ethic, I mean, we're, we're going to keep him involved. So defenses are going to have to have, to have an answer for him when he shows up on the field. Might, uh, you know, not exactly sure what that's going to look like, but, you know, we put him out there the first series. They did a poor job of letting him know he's going to be going, so he hadn't really gotten loose yet. and felt like we, we kind of threw him in a bad position, but he, he handled it like a pro. And as soon as he pulled the ball on the last drive, as soon as he pulled the ball, I put my finger in there. I was like, he's gone. The guy's got amazing wheels. He's too big of a weapon not for, for us not to use him. He and Logan do a great job working together. The first guy there to congratulate him after he scored was Bonner, right there to hug his neck. I mean, so we're, we're, we're fortunate to have two really, really solid quarterbacks that can both win at this level. And Andrew Peasley is definitely going to be a part of what we do and a reason that we're able to win two games. Blake Anderson, Utah State coach, joining us. So you're two and zero. Air Force is two and zero, and we always talk about the Air Force offense. But what do you know about Air Force's defense? And Lafayette, they did what they were supposed to do, and the Navy fired their offensive coordinator. That's five straight games that they've scored seven points or less. So how good of a read do you have on the Air Force defense right now? Not a, not a great one. You know, just history of, of kind of watching them. Uh, like to think that they're gonna, we can make them uncomfortable in space. They're built physical. They, they'll hit you in the mouth up front. I mean, it's going to be a challenge to move them up front. But I think if there is a matchup that fits us, it's out in space. It's just not what they see every day, obviously. And it's it's um, it's going to be so different than what they they saw this week. That hopefully that plays in our favor. We got to get the first first down. We got to make you know we got to get some drives going. Definitely don't want to be punting the ball back to them and letting them milk the clock, which is something they're phenomenal at. Uh, so it, it is a different look, uh, but uh, but it's also something I think that fits us if we can execute well and, and uh, utilize the perimeter, utilize utilize our speed and, and quickness in space. Then then hopefully we can have some success offense offensively, score some points. We need to we need to score touchdowns though. We don't need to be settling for field goals. These guys are really really good at eating up the clock and, and extending drives and go forward on fourth and one and two, and just keeping you over on the sidelines. So every every series is is really critical that you get points. You talked to the team about being a little bit more ready to go since it's a conference game. Conference games always mean a little bit more, and plus you're getting a premier opponent, really. And I know you don't want to look ahead till next week, but you're getting them both right out of the start. Yeah, you know, just for us, just growing. Uh, you know, I felt like we we uh, made less mistakes offensively. We, we made more defensively, especially early, but rallied. Uh, being ready to go is important. We we don't want to put ourselves in a position where we're battling the clock with a with a you know with a deficit in this environment against a very seasoned, very well coached, uh, very experienced Air Force team. You know, conference play that's that's what you do it for. You know, we want to find a way to compete at at this level in, in this league. And you know, you you got to win games. You got to you got to take every opportunity you get. This is going to be a huge challenge for us. Going there, playing at their place doesn't make it any easier. So we'll see if our guys can just take the next step. Well, Coach, congratulations on the win. We'll look forward to the Air Force game uh, Saturday. This should be interesting. Thanks for coming on again. Appreciate it, guys. There is Blake Anderson, Aggie football coach. Coming up, Kyle Whittingham and Kalani Sataki, their weekly press conferences. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. 
And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After their emotional win against the Utes, BYU welcomes in another Pac-12 opponent as Arizona State rolls into Lavelle Edwards Stadium this Saturday. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 6 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Kyle Whittingham taking questions after Utah loses to BYU. It gets interesting here. Both the offense and defense had problems, but he said they had different sets of problems. One beat themselves, made a lot of mistakes, blew assignments. The other just physically got pushed around in the second half. Kyle will explain. Here he is. All right, the short version is uh, they played well and we played very poorly. That was uh, as uh, bare bones as you can uh, boil it down to. Uh, But as poorly as we played, we still had some really good individual performances. I thought Makai Bernard was a big bright spot on offense. Uh, rushed for nearly 150 yards. It was insane average per carry, over 12 yards a carry. Uh, on 12, He had 12 carries total and was over 12 yards a carry. Added uh, four catches to that for another 15 or 20 yards. So he was a big part of, big part of the offense. Uh, I thought Bam Olaseni, even though he didn't start, he came in and gave us really good reps and and uh, played. Uh, some of his best football at left tackle. So so those were two really bright spots uh, on offense. Defense, uh, two linebackers, Nephi Sewell and Devin Lloyd, were very active, made a bunch of tackles. Um, but other than that, uh, like I said, it was, uh, it was very uh, poor performance by us, which is my responsibility. Got to get the guys ready to play. We weren't, we weren't good enough, and uh, my job is to make sure we are good enough. And so... Got a work cut out for us this week. Uh, the San Diego State team is really good. They had uh, Arizona 35-7 at half. The game was over essentially at halftime. And uh, they were really uh, impressive on offense in particular. And so if uh, we don't find some answers, we're going to get the same results. we got to find some answers this week. So questions? <clears throat> uh, when is the last time the defensive line had that problems? Can't remember. It's been so long. And... Uh, it really wasn't early on, you know, the first half, they only had 49 yards rushing, 119 total yards. They wore us out in the second half. That's when they really started to wear us down and push us around. And uh, like I said, of the 200 and what were they, 219? I've seen a couple different numbers. I don't, by the way, Jordy, why is there two different stat summaries on the total offense and all that? You don't know. Okay, shouldn't have asked you. Didn't want to put you on the spot. But anyway, uh, of their yardage, 225-ish rushing yards. Only 49 came in the first half. And uh, like I said, they wore us down. They, they did a great job of sticking to their game plan and not deviating and just continuing to run the football and softening us up. And usually we don't soften up. That was very disappointing to see that uh, we were uh, pushed around there in the second half. And, and uh, that was... Uh, to answer your question, I can't remember the last time, if ever, that that's happened like uh, that. Have you found your five best offensive linemen before that still? Well, we have uh, six that we really like, Bam and Jaron at the left tackle. 
And then uh, we have Braden Daniels at guard, left guard, and, and Nick Ford at center, and Satawa Lamea at right guard, and Simi Moala at right tackle. So those are the top six right now. Keaton Bills is right in, right in there as far as a, uh, an outstanding player. Uh, Paul Miley is another guy that we have complete confidence in. Um, and so, yeah, we've got to, but, but the, the five that we started, plus Bam, who rotated in, were the guys that took all the reps. The five that started, are you comfortable with that five, or might Bam? Well, Bam will continue to play. You know, he played at a high level, and so he earned the right to play. And he'll, assuming he has a good week of practice, it's all about you know practicing the right way and, and doing things correctly in practice to gain your coach's trust and confidence. And if he continues to do that, then he'll continue to get reps on Saturdays. Uh, they obviously in the past, but, you know, if running back, you know, the ball or whatever, they, they would see less time. Maybe I'm not in the game again, but with the depth that you have, is, is, there, is there any reason for maybe why he gets in? Obviously, he was doing well, but I mean, are you always are you willing to give up some of those mistakes? Well, it's a learning process with Tavion. He's uh, he, he performed really well in the first game, other than the fumble. You know, he went for a bunch of yards, and so we think he's got a big upside, and uh, we want to continue to try to bring him along. So that's the best answer I can give you there. Kyle, with that, are you getting a lot of depth? I mean, are you figuring out your depth with that? Obviously, Makai is probably separating. Yeah, Makai and Tavion seem to be, uh, as far as the, the more uh, productive of the two, now they've they've had more opportunity than the other two as well, but but there's just not enough carries to go around to give everyone a bunch of carries, and so you got to make the most of the carries that you do get. Kyle, what were, what were your thoughts on the uh, the play calls uh, on, on Saturday, especially on, on both sides of the ball? Uh, their offensive play calls and our, or our no, offensive. No, but you guys both on, on offense and defense now that you've watched. Okay. Um, well, defensively, I didn't think the play, the, you know, the defensive structures were the problem. It was kind of a, a, two different issues. On offense, our main issue was mental mistakes. We didn't get beat physically. You know, we, were, we blew assignments way too often on offense, particularly up front. Defense was the opposite. We, we were assignment sound, but we just got physically moved around. And, and worn out, and so, so I didn't think our offense got beat up physically. We just, we only had, you know, in a typical game you have about a dozen drives. In this game we had ten drives. When you don't count the one play kneel down at the end of the first half, I don't don't count that. So other than that, you had ten other drives. When the first two are turnovers, and the third one's a, a three and out, and the beginning of the second half is a three and out, and then you have a critical holding call and, and some blown assignments that mess up a lot. You know, there's not many drives left. I mean, there's your chances to score are so minimized, and so that's another reason why the turnover margin is so critical. Because when you turn the ball over, you're essentially giving a drive away, and and so uh, that's uh, it can't happen. We got to maximize drives, and we got to be better assignment-wise offensively, and uh, that was uh, the the problem. And so I don't think it's the play calling was an issue because for the fourth and two example, for example, uh, we blew an assignment, just turned the guy loose, and. And so it's uh, can't you can't win games that way, and and it's tough enough to move the ball and score touchdowns when you're doing things right, let alone when you're having drops, uh, you know, getting penalized, uh, you know, just doing things to kick yourself in the in the foot. So. Yeah, we got a full list after the first game about things that have gone wrong that mm -hmm. you wanted to fix, and it just seems like most of those didn't get fixed. They didn't 
Well, they did on defense. You know, we just got pushed around. Like I said, it was a physical issue on defense in the second half. Offensively, we're still not able to get into a rhythm. Uh, we're pressing the clock too much, not getting out of the huddle in time. It seems like we're scrambling to get out of the huddle and get the play called. We got to everything's got to be more in sync. And right now, you're right. There was a lot of stuff that showed up in the first game that was still there in the second game. We got to continue to try to fix it. What do you think of the Charlie play on, on Saturday? Charlie, uh, you know, again, with some of the blown assignments, there was some loopers and guys coming free on the, in the pressures. And, and so, uh, you know, we can all play better. Uh, he didn't have his he's, – he's capable of playing better than he did. But uh, we didn't do a lot to help him out. Um, with um, uh, Makai Bernard, um, you know, you've had guys transfer – Ty um, Jordan is obviously no longer with us, but you know he, he has kind of stayed the course here, and, mm -hmm. and he's waited for the opportunity. Just what about him? You know, staying patient and waiting for his opportunity. Incredibly proud of Makai, and uh, he's he's become he's grown up right before our eyes. When he got here, he was a very young senior in high school. Uh, I think he was only 16 or 17. He was a young guy. He could have been one class later because he had, he was he was one class ahead, and he has matured and developed a toughness and a consistency about him that is admirable. And, and it's a credit to him, and it's a credit to Kyle McDonald, his position coach. But he has stayed the course exactly as you mentioned, not uh, uh, got uh, you know just uh, ahead of things and, and let himself develop at, at, a, at a good pace. And, and now he's reaping those rewards for, for his work ethic and, and for how, uh, how far he's come development-wise. Just given the nature of recruiting, in the transfer portal, guys are you know constantly leaving and looking for greener pastures in general. Mm -hmm. Are you surprised when a guy like Makai stays the course and stays patient and doesn't transfer? Uh, it's much easier to do exactly what you're saying, just bail out and you know put push the eject button and and get out and, and try to go somewhere else. I think uh, they're starting to become enough of a body of work and experiences where these guys see guys transfer and maybe necessarily doesn't. You know, have a great ending, and and maybe you know realizing that hey, it's pretty good here, right where I'm at, and maybe I should stay the course. And so I think, I think that has a bearing on it as well. That that we've seen some guys transfer and and really not uh, have much success. And so I think that uh, is part of it. But uh, very elated that uh, you know a guy like Makai has taken the course he has and and uh, you know maintained his his uh, work ethic and and not. Uh, Looking for instant success and willing to pay the price to get where he's gotten. Earlier in fall camp, you had talked about this being similar to 2019 in terms of the leadership and everything mm -hmm. there. Is this the type of week where that leadership can show, or how, how does that change? Knowing that obviously you can coach, but where, where does that change come from? Within? Well, it, it absolutely is is key this week, and that the leaders need to step up and and uh, where leadership is really needed and where it really is uh, comes to the forefront is when you have adversity and challenging times. You don't need a bunch of leadership when everything's going great. And so we absolutely need the leaders to step up this week. And uh, they, uh, my guess is they will respond. Kyle, as a head coach, I know that your mindset is to always fix something and adjust. But what did you like from your guys in the BYU game that you want to take into the San Diego State game? Well, like I said about Makai, his performance, it'd be great to have him be able to be that productive every single week. Um, Bam, you know, kind of the same, repeating myself, Bam's uh, quality snaps that he gave us, the, the production of the two inside linebackers, 
Uh, I thought the secondary did some good things. We got beat a couple times, but but overall, when you look at the the throw game, it didn't do much to hurt us uh, in the big picture. I mean, they did have some key catches, and, and the quarterback did a nice job of theirs. Uh, their quarterback taking care of the football again for the second week in a row. Uh, didn't turn the ball over, but uh, you know, on, on defense. Uh, and, and going back to maybe this is not your question, but when you don't have any sacks or any takeaways, which is really our, we thrive on that. We, we've made a living at that for years, and, and we had zero sacks and zero takeaways in this game. So that's another reason for uh, our not so great performance. Do you, you notice any, any differences? Uh, I mean, you obviously haven't played the game yet, but playing in a, a soccer stadium compared to a regular football stadium? Couldn't say. I've never, uh, you know, I've seen the, uh, the tape. Obviously, that uh, where they played in Mexico State, but it's hard to get a good feel for <laughs> for the entire stadium setup. But I don't know if the Chargers can play there. Then that's where they played, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then I guess we can play there. So, no, uh, I don't have any worries. It's it's a natural grass surface. It's a you know it's a regulation field. So away we go. And then and then with with the uh, Aztecs, they they really thrive on running, kind of similar to what you guys do, running the football, yep. having a very physical defense. Absolutely, which I which I mentioned at the onset, that poses a big problem for us, and they handled Arizona with no problem at all. I mean, it was not even a contest, and so it was impressive to watch that tape and, and see how they operate. They got three good backs. They got a quarterback who who does a great job running that offense. They got a couple tight ends that they really like, and they got some wide receivers that are playmakers. And the offensive line is physical. We, we're going to see every bit as physical on O line this week as we did last week, which means we got to rise up and. Uh, Play much better. How much of that running game that San Diego State showed against Arizona? How much was that their running game, and how much was Arizona missing, missing tackles? Both. It was both, but you make guys miss tackles. You know, you, a great back makes you. It's like Barry Sanders. He'll make defenses miss 30 tackles a game. I mean, that's that's uh, you know that's part of being a great running back. And that you know their lead back number 22 is very capable. Of that he's a really good back. I guess he transfer from Nebraska. So, J.C. to Nebraska to here, or to San Diego State. All right, there's Kyle Whittingham and his take on the game and looking ahead to San Diego State. Now, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Kalani Sataki. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a disappointing loss in the Holy War, the Utes look to rebound as they hit the road to square off against an old Mountain West Conference rival in San Diego State. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Kalani Sataki at the microphone meeting with the media. His Cougars are 2-0. They're getting ready to play Arizona State, who is 2-0. Both teams are nationally ranked. USC just fired their coach. My gosh, BYU could be favored in every game the rest of the year. I know it's a long way to go. Two down and ten to go. And coming off a high and a lot of energy, are the Cougs going to be back up for this game? Here's Kalani Sataki. Yeah. Um, looking forward to this uh, this week. Uh, another ranked team coming to our uh, to Provo. So uh, really well coached. Um, Herm's done an amazing job there. And, uh, you know, they, they've 
obviously ranked and, and they're having a lot of success. And so uh, they have a really uh, dynamic quarterback that causes a lot of problems. So um, you know, Jaden Daniels is a really, really good player and, and he has a lot of poise and uh, he just seems like a, a veteran right now. And he's surrounded by a physical, athletical line and good tight ends that, that they can play and can block and can, they can catch. And uh, a number of skill players at running back and, and receiver that have tons of athleticism and speed. So um, it's a difficult matchup, but we're looking forward to it. And uh, you know, on defense, they're really well coached as well. They have tons of athletes, size, um, playmaking ability at a lot of different places. And notice their, their linebackers are very active. And so a uh, well-coached team with, with a, I mean, they're ranked for a reason. So um, looking forward to, to them being here in our home and, and looking forward to the matchup and the, and the game. All right, questions. Let's go Jay and then Mitch. Kalani, just to revert back a little bit on the Big 12 announcement, we didn't really get to talk a lot with you about that, but what do you feel like you need to do in the next two years? Um, some might say you're totally ready now to join that Power 5 league, but what would you like to see happen in your program the next two years to be even more ready? And I mean, I'm not even thinking about the next two years. I'm just thinking about this week. And um, in regards to the, the Big 12 um, happening for our athletics department, I said it before the day of that I'm really happy that um, – that we get to do it as, as an athletic department. I believe we have great coaches and student athletes at this university and really excited that we get to do that together, that all the sports will be included. I'm really thankful that we have this partnership with, with the Big 12 and that they're, um, that, you know, we're joined by a great number of, of schools that, that have, um, you know, from, from what we see, they, they have great football programs and it'd be a lot of fun for us. And I, I'm really happy for the fans that, that this happened, but I, I have nothing to prove other than what we're trying to get done this week. I'm not thinking about two years from now. When I first got here as the head coach, I wanted to get things set and started putting work with our staff on, on trying to develop uh, talent and develop some depth. And that's going to be our focus and we're going to do it with with the mindset of, of our culture in mind, which is something that the environment I got to enjoy when I played under Lavelle Edwards. And so I'm going to keep working towards that and trying to take care of the student athletes as much as I can. And, and we, we will do that as a staff. And I'm, I'm lucky I'm surrounded by great coaches and great support staff and great administrators that allow that to happen. So right now it's working really well. We, we just got to move, you know, week to week. And right now the focus is completely on, on ASU. Lonnie, uh, what will you and your staff do to ensure that your team is equally prepared and energized for ASU this week like you guys were for Utah this past weekend? Yeah, a good question. The, 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 the week of preparation with the intensity and the excitement, um, I think uh, I think a lot of people thought that, that I didn't take the last week very serious. I did. I just – uh, I don't need to define it. What I did, what I did like was the that it was intense. I liked the preparation. I liked the way our guys were focused on what was going on. They're so razor sharp focused that uh, that the game was more important than the Big Twelve announcement, and that was evident from when I was uh, 
you know, from what we saw as a coaching staff, that these guys were so focused on that game. What I like about it is that let's just do the exact same thing again. Let's have that same type of mindset, that same type of focus, um, and the same type of intensity that we had coming into the practices and into our meetings, and let's duplicate it. Because I think it was nice that the players had that opportunity to do that and, and saw the success that we had from it. So let's try to have that same type of preparation, which Lavelle was, was really big on. And, and uh, I'm glad that we were able to have that work and have our guys. Um, that was different than any other week that we've seen. And, and I have to give a lot of credit to the coaches, the assistant coaches, and and to the, the leadership on our team. So we're going to try to get that rolling again and do it times two of the second time. And Kalani, early on in your tenure, there there were some struggles in games uh, played at, at home at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Then... I remember a couple of years ago, you had Patty Edwards talk to the team. And ever since, you guys are winning your home games at an 85% clip. What, what do you maybe credit the success that you guys are now having in protecting your home turf in these games? Well, I think when we first moved to having that high number of P5 games early in the season to begin the season, uh, we knew that that was going to test our depth. And so when you say we struggled to I'm, – I'm, I imagine you're talking about the, the next game. Uh, when you play the high number of P5 games that we do to begin the season that nobody else does in the country, you're going to have to test your depth. So when you see a running back that's going to be playing tonight, Tyson Williams, when he gets hurt in a game and you don't have him again, that 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 uh, you struggle when you when you have to bring the next man up. And I'm not saying that there's a huge drop off, but maybe there's a drop off in experience and talent. Right now, I think our team is uh, much more prepared. For that to happen, we we saw it happen in the Arizona game because of our, our what we did in camp. We were pretty physical and had some nagging injuries in camp, and then we may see how we respond from from this week if we have have to make any adjustments with that. But I would say the intensity of the scheduling is is the thing that tested our depth, and we knew we had to develop that right away. And we feel really good about the progress that we've made from when we first started with this this type of schedule to where we're at now. All right, let's go Jared Lloyd and then Pat. Kalani, so Friday was a big day for the athletic department in general. Saturday, obviously a big day for the football program. How was your Sunday? Sunday was great. Just got to go to church and saw a lot of happy people there. So, I mean, and it just, it was nice. It was just always good to, Sundays are always good after win. So, um, and even after losses, it's good to go recover and then kind of restructure your whole life. I, I think, thanks for asking, but yeah, it was good. It was a good, good time with family and good time uh, taking a, a break from what we normally do during the week. I also wanted to, ha- to talk about Jaron. He's not putting up enormous numbers. They're not like earth shattering numbers, but the way he's managing the game seems to be at an incredibly high level. What does that do for the entire team to have a quarterback that's the, that manages it in that sense? Yeah. In, in, in regards to numbers, he, he's doing great with the numbers that matter the most. And that's, that's what we're focused on. You know, we, we had some mistakes in this game and it's not, not, this not directed towards Jaron, but uh, there are some individuals on, in the game that made, made uh, attempts to, to gain some stats and things like that. And, and, and uh, that can't happen, but it's nice to know that the leader on the offense isn't, isn't doing that. And, um, it's it's just really good to see our, our the way our players have each other's backs, and so I'm um, just really happy with the way that he's performing, 
but a lot of that has to do with the preparation that he he takes on during the week and that um, A-Rod and the rest of the offense does. I mean, I'm really confident in the way that they conduct themselves Monday through Friday, and I, that's why I feel confident going into Saturday's games. Hey, Coach. Uh, Pat Graham from Associated Press. Thanks for taking the time. I, I know you don't like to look forward, so I'm going to take you back for a second. Uh, I think the last time BYU beat a ranked Arizona State team, there was a certain sophomore fullback who had a carry and a and a catch. I guess, uh, what do you remember from that time? Catch, I think I had a big gain, maybe a touchdown, and it got tripped up from behind. A uh, linebacker tripped me up, but um, the run, I don't remember much. I was a blocking guy, you know, and blocking guy with, with hands to catch the ball. And back then, you, could, you can't play offense for BYU if you can't catch the ball, and that probably goes for the the old lineman as well. So um, it, it, it felt good. I remember that game. It was a lot of fun. Um, I, I like the games against ASU. They, they have a great fan base. Um, there's a lot of connections between. Um, I had a lot of great teammates from the area, the Phoenix area, specifically in the Mesa area back in the day. So um, I know there's a lot of connection with the church members in that area too. So there's, there's, it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. There's a lot of people that we know on that team and coaches on that on that program in that program, and uh, we have tons of respect for them and looking forward to the game. But yeah, back then, man, I wouldn't look back. It that was '98, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, I mean, my stat line wasn't that great back then, but uh, man, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> and you got the win too. Yeah, that that was that was the most important part. Thank you. All right, Jake and then Norma. Did Jay ask his question? You cut out. Oh, okay. Oh, Jay, did you not? Did everyone get to? Yeah, you're good. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Kalani, I've had a few people ask me about this on social media, so I'm just going to pass it on to you. Uh, it seems to be a lack of production through two games from your tight end unit. Is there a reason for that? Uh, and what do you expect from them going forward? Yeah, I mean, the the production, you guys are talking about catches, but yeah, look at the production they're doing blocking. You know, that it just doesn't come down to them catching the ball. They, they do everything else out there that we need them to do, and that's protect the quarterback sometimes in, in pass pro and also, um, you know, to, to get yards for our run game. And so um, when we're talking about stats, whether it's the quarterback or the receivers or the tight ends, the, the stuff will happen. I don't think you force feed something, but I think uh, you look at last year's games and you look at, at teams that are that are defending us. They they know that the tight end is, is is a viable option for our quarterback, and so it's not a surprise to anybody. But um, it's just going to have to. We're going to have to. We have diff different options, a lot of different places at running back, at receiver, and at tight end. So. Um, you know, it's just it's just a matter of what the defense does. It's not like we're just going to force feed guys when 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 the, the defense is taking it away. I also want to get just your assessment real quick of the Nakua brothers because we saw the first real extensive action against Utah. Yeah, I thought they did a great job, and and uh, I love their energy. They had the same amount of energy when they weren't playing in the Arizona game, um, and so uh, they just. I mean, those guys, those guys work hard, you know, and, and they want to win and they want to perform. But they also are really excited when their teammates do well. I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of energy and, that, you know, that, that's stuff that I really like. I really appreciate guys do that. And um, 
just need to make better decisions when we score touchdowns and, and not uh, not cost the team an opportunity to get get more points, you know. So, but um, I understand uh, some of the mistakes guys make. We just we can do better. There's there's some mistakes that were made in the game, and we can do better. Our, our, we talk about our culture of love and learn, so we're gonna uh, learn from the mistakes and get better, and and and. Uh, Hopefully we have more opportunities to test the, their celebration style, which means get to the sideline and celebrate with your teammates. But that's that's okay. I appreciate the the energy and the excitement and, and what they bring to the table. We'll, we'll just have to make sure we don't cost the team uh, any issues. But I'm glad that the rest of the the team had their had their backs, and and I know the coaches do as well. Kalani, just to backtrack back to the Big Twelve news once more. Um, how integral would you say that Tom Homo was to that decision? Was he like the man just made to get BYU to this point? Of course. Yeah. He, athletic director. And, and he had a, a huge part. I mean, the, you guys know, Tom, it's the relationships that he has and, and, and the, the people that will listen to him, uh, the sincerity and the genuineness that he has as a person that, that can connect with people. And so uh, I, I think he's able to, um, to really represent BYU well. And, and I think he's able to bring to the table the things that people probably don't think about enough, which is our fan base. I know um, Tom did a great job representing BYU and representing everything that comes with BYU, specifically our fan base and how it's a worldwide fan base and that um, we bring a lot more than, than, than people would think. And I think he does a great job of explaining that to everyone and brings a unique perspective. And he's done a great job as a leader. And it's it's uh, it's an honor for me to be the head coach and, under his leadership. And do you have a favorite Tom Homo story or memory or just the first time you really connected with him? Yeah, I just I, I just really value our friendship and, and our our relationship that we have. Uh, it's been a great mentor to me as well. And so just uh, just everything. I, I really like the example that he sets for all of us and how much he loves the student athletes. He knows every one of them by name. He hangs out and talks to them, collaborates with them. It fits exactly what you, you think that he played under a guy named Lavelle Edwards. And so um, uh, for me, it's a great example. He, the way he he uh, just lives his life, how, how he is with his children and grandchildren and uh, how he is with his wife, Lori. They, they're amazing people and they're great examples to, to all of us coaches. Okay, uh, we're going to go Jay and then we'll see where we're at. Kalani, just wanted to get an update on Keenan Ellis. I, I know you don't like to talk about injuries, but his was kind of different. And also, uh, what about Isaiah Herons stepping up and kind of filling that role? And what has impressed you about Isaiah's play? Okay, Keenan, um, he's still going through the protocol. And so um, he's not out for the year, but, but I, we're, we're, we're still taking our time and, and bringing him back slowly. Uh, still highly doubtful for this weekend. Um, but, but we're going to err on the side of, of just making sure that it's safe for him to return. Um, and and he's doing really good, by the way. Just just so everybody knows that he's doing, he's doing much better. He he, improve, he improves daily. Um, Isaiah Heron, I've been really pleased with him. Just uh, just really happy with his progress that he's made, um, and then glad that he this is where he wants to be, and this is where he, what he wants to do. And um, 
you know, there's a time that he went into the transfer portal and, and had to rethink some things and we got him back, you know, and, and that's, uh, and not only to get him back, we got him back with a little bit more of a, a mindset of the, to buy into what this place is all about. And um, you see, you're seeing the results. He's a big time player. He just happens to play behind, you know, D'Lo and, and Keenan, who are really great players at the corner as well. And those guys did a great job, um, you know, this last week. And then just really looking forward to see, seeing them com- compete this weekend. A lot of great athletes that ASU brings to, to the field. And, and we're going to need all those guys. And, but I've been really impressed with what Gennaro's done with with that corner room and what he's done with all those guys. I mean, you look at like um, Caleb Hayes and Jacob Robinson, um, you know, Shaman Willis, those guys have done a great job playing corner and, you know, Jock Wilson's back with the group too. So uh, it's a, it's a really deep group that, that, um, you know, when, when we lose one like Keenan, unfortunately, someone like Isaiah steps up and, and makes plays for us. There is Kalani Sataki. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag NFL. Give us to Williams right up the middle. He's got a hole. 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Tyson Williams. And welcome to the Baltimore Ravens. Takes a snap. Fires on a cross. Spin. Jackpot, baby. Vegas touchdown. Card to Darren Waller. Blitz is picked up. Raiders beat the Ravens 33-27. A crazy wild game. If you made it up, nobody would believe it. Ravens blow three fourth quarter leads. Raiders tie it with a 55-yard field goal. And then in overtime, they had a touchdown. They reviewed it, correctly took it away. First and goal, (laughs) the Raiders backed up and threw an interception. But then they forced a fumble and won the game anyway. Bizarreness, well, highly entertaining. That went off hands and face. Well, off the receiver's hands, off the defender's helmet, popped in the air. Nothing but net. <laughs> right. Bizarro time, but the Raiders get the win, 33-27. And the Ravens got a lot of big plays out of Jackson, but a couple of big fumbles out of him as well. Oh, yeah, the last one. I mean, he was pulverized. You know, yep. I can blame it on him. So much was made of this. These Manning brothers are talking on TV. It's because it was new. I enjoyed it. No, but I don't want to hear Peyton Manning interview somebody. I want to hear him being interviewed. I don't want to hear him ask questions to Ray Lewis. You can get any stiff to do that. I want to hear Peyton Manning tell me what he thinks. He's so good. He In some of those segments, he was turned into an interviewer. Yep, because he's hosting it. Right. Yeah. Because announcers suck, and we just need athletes there. But then the athlete ends up doing the announcer's job. Yeah. So, (laughs) away we go. I want to hear what Panning has to say. I thought Eli had a couple of awesome points right at the end of the game. One, he said, don't go on a hard count, because 
It'll fool you. It's just hut, and you just go. And sure enough, they went on a hard count, and that got him offsides and back to the uh, six-yard line. He called that. And then he called pulling the uh, field goal team off. He says, no rhythm now. Run another play. And they scored a touchdown on it. Ryan Fitzpatrick, injured reserve. A right hip sublection. Sublaction? Sublation. Whatever you want. Whatever. It looked like it hurt. Subluxation is what it is. Subluxation. I totally screwed that up. He's out six to eight weeks, so... You see Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know what a subluxation is exactly? Do I want to know? It's going to make it's my hip It's a dislocation hurt. that goes out and then goes back in. Popped it out and popped it in. Better his hip than mine. Well, that's really just sums up who you are. Niners people didn't know that. Niners running back Raheem Mostert <laughs> chipped Carlidge in his knee. You wish it had happened to you, of course. If you want to want the... <laughs> no, I wish it wouldn't have happened to either, my friend. <laughs> it's football. That right, stuff keep, keep talking. To Maybe you'll get yourself out of it. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. <laughs> it's out eight weeks. Arthroscopic surgery after chipping cartilage. Just admit when you're wrong and you screwed up. People will forgive you. Cleveland Brown Center and NFL Players Association Union President J.C. Treder said he believes Chiefs assistant coach Greg Lewis should be disciplined by the NFL for his role in the sideline skirmish. Cleveland safety Ronnie Harris Jr. Harrison was ejected after he pushed Lewis, shoved the Browns safety after coming over to help Chiefs running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Harrison is facing a fine for his actions. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Short version is uh, they played well and we played very poorly. That was as bare bones as you can boil it down to. But as poorly as we played, we still had some really good individual performances. I thought Makai Bernard was a big bright spot on offense. Rushed for nearly 150 yards. It was insane. Average per carry over 12 yards a carry. He had 12 carries total and was over 12 yards a carry. Added four catches to that for another 15 or 20 yards. So he was a big part of the offense. I thought Bam Olesen, even though he didn't start, he came in and gave us really good reps and played some of his best football at left tackle. So those are two really bright spots on offense. Kyle went on to say that offensively, guys missed assignments, made mistakes, just blew it. Defensively, they got pushed around, and he thought that was especially noticeable. In the second half, they really got pushed around, which said he couldn't remember the last time the defensive line got handled like that. Didn't he he say that uh, Saturday night, too? USC football coach Clay Helton has been fired. Athletic director Mike Bone announced yesterday, two days after Trojans got beat at home by Stanford, 42-28. His buyout's in the $12 million range. They had him signed through 2023, but he is out. Not even going to let him coach this season, PK. I guess under the theory he might rally and get to 9-3 or 10-2, and and they're tired of that. Sure, yeah, I guess so. I mean, obviously he was on dead man walking list for years now. Right. Uh, You wonder why didn't they make the change in the offseason? Why let him go to the first loss? Because I doubt they were going to go undefeated. Because they didn't think it looked good firing him after 5-1? and I don't know. I'm with you. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to get rid of him before last year. But 
I think they looked at 5-1 and one in a bizarro year and thought, mm, can we really fire him after that? Yes. Of course, they're firing him after this, so why not? This looks ridiculous, too. But if you're going to do it, do it sooner rather than later. Like, talking with Tom Homo years ago, he thought that it was better to do it. If you know you're going to do it, then do it. Don't wait. Because now you've got a head start on everybody else who's looking for a head coach. right? We know that there'll be several more, to what extent we don't know, but we know there'll be several more between now and December, right? And yep. there'll also be guys who will take other jobs that don't wouldn't have been fired, but nevertheless you have a coaching vacancy and an opening. So right now, USC, anybody who's coaching, they wouldn't talk directly, but they would go through circles. Anybody who isn't coaching, they can have direct conversation today. So in that respect, I don't think it's ridiculous. Because they have an an advantage right now that nobody else has. And with that in mind, I target one fellow who is not coaching right now. Stoops! No. Who? Chris Peterson. I was say Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson all the way. Chris Peterson for the win. In my mind, yes. I don't know if he wants it, if he's done a, a resting period to where he wants to get back in. I have no clue. But I believe in his ability to coach winning programs, and he's a West Coast guy. Stoops is not. Right. And he's been out longer. Correct. And so you have this opportunity now to go after him, and you at least you know... You're not competing with anybody for Chris Peterson, unless Washington wants to bring him back real soon. Uh, <laughs> because they're 0-2, obviously. But you, you, you know, They may want to consider it. You can't give a, a brand-new coach two games, I mean, that, or even a half a season. That's ridiculous, uh, unless there's something flagrantly wrong with the program. So I appreciate that they did it when they did it, because I don't, I don't think it's ridiculous at all. I think if you were going to do it, do it. You should have actually done the ridiculous portion of it to me is you didn't do it earlier. You've wanted to get rid of him since like 2018. If that's the case, I don't know because it's a new athletic director and a new president, so I don't know what they were thinking. But if they wanted to get rid of him, then they should have. And so there's if you want to get rid of somebody, there's no time like the present. If Peterson took that job, if he wanted back in, that would make quitting Washington and sitting out a year make a lot more sense. I mean, we've all known dead man walking for a long time. And you're right, the AD and president's changes may have played in his favor for a little while and then played against him. You know, they're brand new, what's going on? You want to walk in and the first thing you do as a president is change the football coach. Like, that's the most important thing that needs to be done. They've had other issues on campus. I don't know. But Peterson maybe sees it coming and steps away. Gets his year off, doesn't have to leave uh, one school and jump to the other. I don't think that it was diabolical on Peterson's behalf. There was no planning? I don't think so. No, I don't think that, man. I'm going to step aside now so I can... I'm going to go independent so I can get into the conference and not have an affiliation. No, I don't I don't see that. I, I think he stepped away for genuine reasons. But that was a couple years ago and things change. I, I don't know what he's thinking. He may think, hey, I've done my time. Uh, I don't want to coach the dumbest age group in America. A great uh, quote uh, at a Pac-12 media day. So, 
But to me, right now, he should be the number one candidate. Lots been made out of the AD making a football hire at Cincinnati that's worked out pretty well with Luke Fickle, but he's not a West Coast guy either. Texas coach Steve Sarkeesian announced uh, Casey Thompson's going to replace Hudson Card as the Longhorns' starting quarterback. Both quarterbacks expect to play against Rice this weekend. On the other end of that Arkansas-Texas game, Arkansas was fined $100,000 by the SEC after the Razorback fans rushed the field in the aftermath of that win. Second violation of conference's access to competition area policy. Man, how about that? Access to competition area policy. Next time they, they storm the field, it'll be a quarter of a million bucks. Texas A&M starting quarterback Haynes King will miss time. He's got a crack in his lower leg, Coach Jimbo Fisher told reporters. No timeline for his return, but a source told ESPN's Chris Lowe that it'll be out four to seven weeks. Navy's reinstated the offensive coordinator Ivan Jasper in a reduced role after athletic director Chet Gladchuk fired the longtime assistant over the weekend. Head coach Ken Nui Matalolo said Jasper, the team's offensive coordinator since 2008, will now be the quarterback's coach. Nui Matalolo said Monday that he asked Gladchuk to reconsider the decision, saying if Jasper losing him is not the right answer, we're better with him. He's the best option coach around. Nui Matalolo said he wasn't involved in the initial decision to fire the offensive coordinator, and now he will call plays for the midshipmen. Seven straight losses, five straight games with seven points or less. Obviously, things need to change, but that's not a good look, having your AD make unilateral decisions about the football staff. Suggests tons of turmoil for the midshipmen. Oh, they're losing, so yeah. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. The pitch. Turner swings and he belts one to left field deep. This ball's back. This ball's gone. A home run for Justin Turner. 5-1 Dodgers as Turner blasts his 25th home run of the season. There he goes. The pitch is blasted to deep right field. This one is way gone. Up over the arcade, Brandon Bell, the booming home run, is 24th of the year. 8-1 Giants. Giants beat the Padres 9-1. Dodgers keep pace by beating the Diamondbacks 5-1. Clayton Kershaw, out for a couple months, was back. Pitched into the fifth inning in that one. Yeah, Giants clinched. First team to clinch at least a wild card. Um, They're obviously looking for more than that. Vlad Guerrero Jr., very close to a triple crown, PK. This close. This close. Hit his 45th home run. Tops in Major League Baseball, one in front of Shohei Otani. Toronto beats Tampa 8-1. Guerrero, four ribbies off the pace behind Jose Abreu. And he's got the best batting average by two points in the American League. So He do. So if he gets, could he be the guy who gets the triple crown and then doesn't win uh, MVP because no. Otani gets it? No. Like that's the only way to take it away from Otani, win the triple crown. The, the, the Jays have won 12 out of 13 games. Uh, they're in the wild card spot right now. you, you got to factor in winning to a degree and the pressure 
Angels are playing out the string. Yep. It's not like it's meaningless stats, but they don't mean as much as what Guerrero's doing right now. With the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Jays all tangled in that wild card race. Lopsided game of the night. That'll go to the Astros. 15-1 to over the Rangers. Really put it on them. Bees lost 12-2 to the Oklahoma City Dodgers. Series finale for the team set for tonight. 635 Smith Ballpark. Get your tickets at slbs.com or listen here on The Zone at 620. What is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Frank Dolce, Ute Insider, analyst for the Zone Sports Network, will be here at 8 o'clock. Dylan Colley, former BYU receiver, will be here at 9 o'clock. Lots of college football on the way right here on the Zone Sports Network. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After their emotional win against the Utes, BYU welcomes in another Pac-12 opponent as Arizona State rolls into Lavelle Edwards Stadium this Saturday. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 6 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Lenoride Mortgage will be live. They'll be joining us Friday morning to help you get the lowest rates on your new mortgage or refinance. Listen Friday morning. Visit LenrideMortgage.com for more information. That's important. Mortgage rates count. They matter. Can save you some money. Oh, big time, man. Question of the morning. What impact does Clay Helton's dismissal have on the Utes this season? They don't win. It's a massive gag. James says, well, they've done this two other times, and both times Utah lost to the interim coach. So we'll see this time. Third time's the charm. I don't remember them. That's where you come in. Come on, nerd boy. Three, <laughs> two, one, go. I'll have to look them up. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I can't. I remember the interim coaches. I think we all remember Orgeron got his shot and then didn't get hired. And that's how Clay Hilton got the job. But I'll have to look up those years and check the scores for you. Okay, do that. All right, I'll get right on that. But if the number one team, the favorite, fires their coach... One game in a conference season. Logic would dictate. That's disarray. So then you move down to the number two, whose coach is not going to be fired. Number three, well, I mean, they've had three assistants fired. They can't possibly do it. The only way they do it is if they cheat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the truth. But maybe the cheating paid off. It didn't. The, the kids that they brought in, they didn't, didn't get. didn't get, so they can't really. They can't help them win now since they're <laughs> so, not going to have a jersey on. Yeah, so they, they cheated and didn't even succeed. Pull it together, Devils. So, yeah. I mean, Utah's clearly in the driver's seat now. The interim coaches were 2013-2015. Those are odd-numbered years. The games were in L.A., so the Utes lost. Because they haven't, they haven't won in the Coliseum since they joined the Pac-12. 
Okay, but do we know that they were interim coaches when they played the Utes? You can't just you, you didn't do all your homework. Got to do your homework early. I got to do my homework early. How early <laughs> in the season did they change? <laughs> so uh, that doesn't tell me. That's not hundred percent of the facts. Come on, man. I mean, I know you don't have the standards set by Walter Cronkite, but come on. That's a little shy on detail there. All right, keep talking. I'll big fella. <laughs> You're like your putts. You come up short. <laughs> All too often, except for the ones I run wow. 20 feet past and off the green. Now nah, he's seen me putt enough, he can say that. So it's too little or too much, huh? So come on, man. Nail it. Dude. going to be hard for SC to concentrate and all. I mean, they're going to go through the whole season. Why should I listen to this guy? He's not going to be here next year. And am I going to be here next year? Right, right now, if I'm a potential pro, my whole thing is to start to gear up for the League. National yeah. Football League. That's where the what real Kalani money is. was just talking about. Are guys going to be selfish, worried about their stats? Trying to put dramatic plays on tape and all that stuff. Well, these are young guys, and they're influenced by so many different people, and there's going to be so many different people in their ear now. you got to get yours. This is uh, long-term survival here. Every man for himself. And the Devils, I mean, I don't think these coaches are going to be here next year. That's what I'm hearing. A 68-year-old Herm will ride off in the sunset. Yeah, I get it. It's been a great run. I get it. We cheated. I got caught. I get it. <laughs> and now I'm going to retire. Yeah. And so he'll go do his thing. So they can't be a threat, can they? I mean, they were up four points on UNLV. I think UNLV lost to Southern Nevada in the first game. Didn't they? Bryce Harper came and yeah, Southern scored Nevada. a winning touchdown. The, the, the non-football playing <laughs> Southern Nevada, yes. Well, UNLV is the non-football playing program in Vegas. <laughs> hey well done, well done. And so they're up 14-10 to 10 at home. And Herm listening to them because they're playing the Cougars this year, I mean this week, I mean, and he said their passing game sucks. And two of the three running backs were out. Other like, than that. Yeah. Now, they, they could get healthy at the time, but for the Cougars, man, you should be able to pick off this win. Uh, but, yeah, so Utah, man, they're in the driver's seat. I don't care what happens Saturday. In some ways, uh, that's actually good. I mean, the long-lost interview we all had with Britton Covey, I don't know that it'll ever get played on our station, but I gave up my afternoon and went up there like I was told to do and got Britton, and he was talking. I, I asked him, I said, about... Uh, I don't know, at least we're going to post it on the website so you, you can hear the interviews from yesterday. Um, is, is this like 2019? That loss to SC was a conference loss. BYU wasn't, but it has just as much emotion and all that stuff surrounding it and attention as a USC loss that was there at that game too. And they turned around and won eight straight. I don't know if they're going to win nine straight. But clearly, as Britton Covey was saying, that, that that loss humbled them at two years ago, got them refocused, that type of thing. See, this thing that happened Saturday night, doing that. I mean, the, the, I feel way better about Utah's chances this morning than I did this time yesterday. 
You hadn't already seen the uh, the red flag go up with their loss to Stanford? Yeah, I saw it in like 2018. I saw it the day he was hired. It was clear he was going to be fired. So he was dead man walking again. Again. Still. Staggering around like... I mean, I felt decent about their chances yesterday morning after SC, they barely even competed. And so, but now more so... I mean, and the assistant coaches, where's their focus going to be on? I mean, Next job, let, they'll, let, be, they'll be calling friends yeah, in, the prof- in the profession. If you want a frame of reference, go back to when Bronco Mendenhall announced that he was going to take the Virginia job, and the, and all the assistants, will, and I talked to several of them, well, what am I going to do? And then Bronco decides to hire several of them. They take the job, and I talked to guys, former BYU players who are on that staff, Said, well, I don't know that, and we all expected Kalani was going to get the gig. That wasn't a big surprise, but I don't have a relationship with him. He's been at Utah all this time. How do I know he's going to keep me? And they're going to double my salary to go to Virginia. All right, so it was a no-brainer for those guys. And then what did the football team do? Turn it over the first 17 possessions? (laughs) Not 17. Because they didn't have that many in the first half. If they did, they would have. Utah fell asleep a little bit and allowed the Utes to come back. But then when it was time to turn on the gas, they did and won the game. And 35 nothing turned into 35-28. Yeah. whoop de doo And the players said we had to pull it together on the sideline. An yeah. obvious yeah. reference to they didn't feel like they were being led by the coaches. Right. So what do you think the SC assistants are going to do right now? If I'm they any of them, Vic Soto, I'm making contacts. Yeah, they are burning up the phones trying yeah. to figure out where might I get a job next year. Everybody texts these days. That's why you go with Podium. Texting is the way to go. I'll tell you about it later. Give us about 20 minutes. Yeah. So, absolutely. This season's over for SC. Unless they win big. There's no Hard to reason do because they've they already win. lost to Stanford. Why they win would win big. This is if you're ever going to beat the Trojans in the Coliseum, this is the year. I mean, you got Charlie Brewer. He flew for 450 trillion yards at Baylor. He Tro- won the Sugar Bowl. The Trojans went six and three in conference both times. They had the interim coach, and both times when they beat the Utes, the change had already been made. Once they beat him 19-3, the Utes are switching oh. quarterbacks during the game. Travis Wilson's hurt. And the other one is the Cameron Smith three-interception game. 42-24. Well, they didn't go 6-3 and because you played nine games. They made the moves after the during conference season. Mm-hmm. So that's inaccurate. Like they did this time. Right. But they didn't go 6-3 and three after the change because the change was right. made during conference games, after conference games. So they couldn't have the interim coach couldn't have gone six and three because they'd already played some games. The Trojans were one and two when they played the Utes, so they did pretty well with the uh interim coach. I'm not gonna try to do the math. What would that be? Five and one with the interim coach to get to six and three well, if it was the week before. Try, not going to try to do the math. I know, and then I just just took a flyer. It's just I, crazy. I don't PK. know what to believe from you, man. <laughs> you tell me one thing, you do another. You both do times, one thing, you tell me something else. Both times they beat Utah to get to two and two in the conference. The constant inconsistencies that I have to put up, and so yeah, I may shout at you just a little bit at seven forty-two, but at least I'm consistent. 
But neither of those teams completely <laughs> threw in the towel when they won. Yeah, but they beat the Utes to get to two and two. They and end up finishing six and three. And do you think that the Utah program was better? Absolutely then not. Or the now? first the first one was a five and seven season, right. and that was you know one of the, the Utes picked second in those years. Give you something else to do. No, nope. keep, keep him busy, Yock. It works every time. <laughs> <laughs> From thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Just keep doing stuff. Whatever you can look up. <laughs> I wouldn't count on them completely rolling over. They've actually had seasons where they did roll over where the full-time coach stayed there. But when they can't reach their goals, to your point, they've always got a bunch of NFL guys on the roster. And when they can't reach their goals, things unravel. Oh, Lane, about- Lane Kiffin had a 7-6 and six season that ended with a humiliating loss in the Sun Bowl. This is about the Utes playing well. Anyway, that's what's most. That important. would be a good start. Yes, no matter. They got Charlie Brewer. I mean, he started 16 years at Baylor. I mean, he's really good. I love your overstatement. <laughs> 17 turnovers, 16 years, 467 trillion yards. He threw for at Baylor. 467 <laughs> trillion. Yes. Yes. That's uh, I I know it because it equals the U.S. deficit. It just it parallels. Just keep Charlie Brewer's yards on a billboard everywhere when you drive around town. It's the same thing. The deficit, Charlie Brewer's yards that he threw it at at, uh, at Baylor. That sure that I mean, all those successes that he had in Baylor, man, that that paid off big time in Provo Saturday night. Not even a little bit. Who gives a crap what he did two years ago? It's what you're doing now. Not that he can't do it, but I'm not going to base it on a team that I never watched once. So you threw out uh, USC and ASU's hope because of the turmoil they have. The obvious other contender then would be UCLA beat LSU to get to 2-0 and and announce they've arrived. Sure, they beat LSU. Can't take that away from them, man. That's it. They beat LSU. If that's Now, if LSU turns out to be another 500 team... If that's the defining moment of the Bruins, I always thought, I said all along, I thought they were going to be a tough out. I said it 5,000 times in August. I still believe that. I said it before they pulverized LSU. I mean, uh, Hawaii, they dominated, which surprised me because Hawaii had the best training camp they'd ever had, according to Todd Graham. Very explosive, good character. So the question of the morning, what impact does Clay Helton's dismissal have on the Utes this season? And Mark says, it makes you wonder if Mel Kuyper still thinks USC will clobber BYU at the end of the season. Mark counting on uh, USC being in disarray on Thanksgiving weekend. He did say that. I happened to be listening, driving to the gym one morning on my serious satellite, Station 80, and I heard him say, they will clobber BYU. And I quoted him and put it out there. I didn't think they'd clobber him anyway. But that's a non-conference game. I know it means a lot to BYU. But it doesn't mean anything for the conference. And it means zero for Utah. That game's irrelevant. Uh, unless they were to go undefeated the rest of the way and potentially get a shot to move in to to get in the playoff, but even then, if they had a shot to the playoff, Utah would just move up to the Alamo Bowl because the loser of the Pac-12 title game would move into the Rose Bowl 
if I think it's what the peach and cotton are the two semis this year. And so that has very little effect on the Utes that that particular game because it's not like they would move up. They would just move up a potential pecking order in some who gives a crap bowl that they're barely going to show up to play. Mike says this is going to have no impact on the Utes. It's just going to make the Pac-12 look even worse. Oh, I disagree completely. Oregon beat Ohio State. That's what will make the Pac-12 look good, assuming Oregon can back that up. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing is just to get one team in. That's, right. Nobody cares that, about the middle of your league flailing around. Yeah, that's the playoff now. If, if That's the big knock. I mean, the Pac-12 can suck you-know-what, but if they got one team in the playoff, all of a sudden they're great. It's, just, it's so bogus, and it's decided by judges, no less. <laughs> it's, 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 it's crazy to think that, that that's how we define success for the Pac-12 is a committee of, what, 13 people? And they who, they decided which one lost team do they pick? Because they always eliminate the two lost teams, and they always let in the undefeated Power Five team. They're and not going to let, let in the undefeated team from the SEC and Clemson and Ohio State. And if Ohio State isn't in, we'll change the rules to allow them to get in. <laughs> so. And if we're really up against the wall, then Oklahoma or Notre Dame can be in. But yeah. you got to make us right. <laughs> So let's uh, let's meet every week in Dallas, or they ought to go to Maui. Just play it up even more ridiculous. Gotta Once the committee starts, where they 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 start meeting in the end of October, you should sequester and quarantine in Maui. Sequester was absolutely the word. Good word. <laughs> Good poll. <laughs> we have sequestered ourselves. Yeah. In a five star luxury hotel and yards from the beach, we're going to listen to them, and then ESPN can do it at halftime or in between. The games of the four power teams of college basketball that they want to play, and we could bring in Herb Street and make it so dramatic. Meanwhile, and, and we release what do they do? They release it up to twenty five. So we start guessing on teams five, six, and seven. I can remember two years ago the Utes were like six. I wrote for KSL on our website. They got no chance. Oh my gosh, Ute fans got over me, got on me so bad. One guy said, "I went over really well." I'm going to tweet this every day if that hack is wrong. Well, that hack was right. <laughs> How come I didn't hear from you? How come I only hear from you? I know that. I know the answer to that because you were right. <laughs> It wasn't an outrageous take. You got a guy who's the mouthpiece of the SEC on ESPN saying, Utah? Yeah. Nobody wants to watch Utah? Right. I mean, it wasn't like he made it up out of thin air. Right. And and I was authoring that no way Utah deserves to be in there. They're frauds. Not reading the second sentence, PK. I don't care. Don't you think that I would want Utah in? Wouldn't it be good for my job? Was it good for work? Isn't that very, very important to me? Yes, it matters a whole heck of a lot that the station succeeds. And if the teams win, the station stands a better chance to succeed, and I stand a better chance to be employed. You idiots. It's only been true there. for I'm years. angry to them. You don't have any problem when I'm angry to them. But if I'm angry with you, all hell breaks loose. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right, Yak? Am I speaking truth right now? <laughs> You're not nearly as angry with them either. You're going soft on them. Pretty ni- pretty much nailed it. <laughs> You're inconsistent. That's your problem. On a weekly basis. On a minute basis. 
a segment-by-segment basis. I am as consistent as Tiger in his prime. (laughs) Oh, jeez. And he won one out of every four tournaments in his prime, so. Which was awesome. Okay. Yeah, because I allow you to win three out of every four segments, because if I crushed you, you would even whimper even more than you do. I can't make a whimpering noise on demand. Sorry. I really wanted to for comedy's sake. <laughs> Would have been good. Michael. Michael tweets at us. Oh, so the question to reset it for those of you just joining us. What impact does Clay Helton's dismissal have on the youths this season? Michael says that the youths counterpart in the in-state game will have a better shot at sweeping the Pac-12 South this season. That is well played, Michael. That is a Kyle Whittingham response right there. Not a rivalry game, an in-state game. The Utes counterpart, not BYU. I see what you did there, Michael. I think you did it very well. I can buy some logic there. Sure. Yeah. It's a better shot at sweeping. But that really has no effect on Utah. That's great for the Cougars. The effect it will have on Utah is they will have to listen to the Cougars talk about sweeping the South. That's the impact it will have on the Utes. But if the Utes are going to the Rose Bowl, go ahead. They won't care so much? No. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. I, I bring up the example. The first time the Devils went to the Rose Bowl, they clinched. They beat uh, Northern Cal. Not Southern Cal. They beat Northern Cal. Uh, the penultimate week of the season. Stanford or Cal? I'm tr- I, no, Stanford I is Stanford. It. Okay. Well, we got Southern Cal. Mm-hmm. So Which then, is USC. So, but I then, thought you might go UC Berkeley if you meant Cal. So I, yeah, I do. A, no, okay. that's Northern Cal. All right. If there's a Southern Cal, there's got to be a Northern Cal. It's just the way it works. Don't get me sidetracked. <laughs> so they beat Northern Cal, and they clinched. The next week was the rivalry game, which they lost. But nobody ever talks about it because they went and they beat Jim Harbaugh and Bo Schemblechter because they accused the Devils of holding, and they won the Rose Bowl. So if BYU sweeps the South and Utah goes to the Rose Bowl, who cares? They will have che- Utah will have achieved its primary goal. True story. Win the conference. Yeah. When I was growing up Rose Bowl. and was uh, was living there and and going to to the to ASU and and had friends on the team, or at least casual guys that I knew a little bit, you know, that now at their 20 years old, I'm way older than them. I don't live and die by what they do on the football field. But at the time, those some of those guys were your buddies, man. The quarterback I I hung out with in high school. Uh, and he ended up playing in the NFL. Um, so you wanted them to win, right? So my two goals every academic year were go to the Rose Bowl and go to the College World Series. My two sports goals for the Devils. I've always been a pro basketball guy versus college, so I didn't care nearly as much about basketball. Plus, they're not any good. Uh, so if the, if the point I'm making is that the Utes go to the Rose Bowl this year, that's all that matters. Sure, it just doesn't feel, and I mean, logically, people know it's possible. It just doesn't feel like it this close to having gotten pushed around in the rivalry game. It doesn't mean it can't happen. But when happen. we get there in the first week of December, right. if it happens... It will be a I promise you, right. as you, I don't need to promise you, you already know, they'll be jumping up and down like crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. And it'll be in Vegas, 
So there'll be 25,000, 30,000 Ute fans if they think they got a shot. Now, you know, if they go 6-3 uh, and three in Oregon sitting over there at 9-0, and zero, yeah. you know, maybe, and Oregon's just beating the crap at everybody, like that one year uh, the Trojans were on probation and the Bruins went. And I don't even think they had a five uh, above five hundred record, but they were they had they had to go because the Trojans couldn't go, yep. and so there was really no buzz in that game. In fact, I think Newhouse might have even been fired. He might have been coaching out the string at that point. Uh, I'm, I, I'd have to double check that. So under that circumstance, but Utes are, the, the bottom line for me is the Utes are going to get a lot better, unless I'm misreading the situation entirely. Brewer's going to get more comfortable. And he's going to get more comfortable as receivers. He's going to realize, hey, I got to get the ball to Keithy at as much as I can. He's really good. Uh, we're going to see Bernard, I think, take over the running back spot. Uh, and I, I still think they're going to be fine. Could be wrong, but that's the way I see it. Defense can't get pushed around. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. The secondary was probably. The question mark. He yeah, felt pretty good about linebacker, yeah, and the defensive line is never the question mark. But the secondary wasn't the issue. No, it's not like BYU threw the ball over the field for no. them. All right, DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The zone. Stay with us. Coming up, we'll run all of this by Frank Dolce. That's coming up at eight o'clock, about fifteen minutes away, right here on the zone. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After their emotional win against the Utes, BYU welcomes in another Pac-12 opponent as Arizona State rolls into Lavelle Edwards Stadium this Saturday. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 6 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Utah RV Super Show is back at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, September 16th through the 19th. Join the big show Thursday and Friday from 2 to 7 p.m. and see the newest technology and latest trends in RVs. What impact does Clay Helton's dismissal have on the Utes this season? Greg just tweeted at us, based on what we saw last Saturday, not much. He just doesn't think they're good enough, PK. One game, so if they would have won, they'd be great? Absolutely. Because you can't have one without the other. Tuesday after the rivalry game, fans haven't bounced back yet. May take a USC win, actually, to get them to bounce back. And come in with the assumption they're better than San Diego State and Washington State. So Why, Why do you do that, though? What you always just go to the bigger program and assume? Don't the you think that's what gonna, the fans think? That they're no better than San Diego I State and Washington I can't State. Speak what fans think? I don't know. I think the fans think they're better than that, and I think well, of they know you they do because that's what you think. And I think they also know they haven't won in the LA Coliseum in the Pac-12. So, yeah, I think Utah USC is a game for Ute fans. They'll establish how good they are, and then they got beat by so BYU. So we got to wait next dis- month. It was decisive. So now, like. Ugh. Yeah, it was Greg, nine points. That's why Greg says this. That had never led in the game. Defense couldn't get off the field, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think it was more of an offensive issue. I don't think it was a defensive issue. Their offense was woefully inadequate. It was. Yeah, that, that was it's the same old problem with them. Uh, 
I mean, despite this guy threw for, I don't know, he's not how many yards now? It's like a fish. It keeps getting bigger and bigger. It really doesn't. That's <laughs> just you making stuff up so you can be outraged. It's been 9,000 forever, except when it went for 476 trillion. I didn't understand all the hype. What difference did it make what he did at Baylor? It matters what he does at Utah. That's, uh, that's, that's all that matters is what are you doing now, not what you did. Uh, sports is about now, not before. So I, I don't think we got to wait till the middle of October, basically, to find out how good they are? Really? Yes. And I don't even know that that's going to tell you. Then what the hell is going to tell you? <laughs> because the, the, if only the games thing, don't tell you, what the, tells you? The pass-fail <laughs> is winning the division and then winning the conference championship game. Oh, you sure? But you could have. I I disagree on that. Okay, it's it's not a pass fail. So if they don't win the conference championship game, that's a fail. That's no. pretty strong, especially if that's Oregon, what you just said. I know, especially if Oregon turns out to be all that. But I think for a lot of fans, that what it is. Fans always want. I don't care regardless about regardless of sport. I can't. I can't project what fans think. I can only say what I think. We were just talking about what a fan wrote. So that's why we're talking about what fans think and why you were talking about it. That's fine for you, but I'm saying for myself, and that's fine for you. I don't have any problem saying that's what you like to do. I speak for myself. I give a clear, concise opinion for me, not what I think some fan thinks. I don't really care what the fan thinks. The fan has every right to think what he or she thinks. When I say I don't care, I do care, but I mean I don't care to the point of arguing with him or her because that's their right as long as they're invested in the program to think that way. But I can't speak for them. I can speak for myself. And you read that. I disagree with that. That to me, if they don't win the conference title game in Vegas, I do not label this season an automatic failure. Okay, but earlier, an hour ago... Now, with USC having the coaching change, and the third-place team looks like that coaching staff, certainly three guys look like they're on the way out the door, but the whole group could be on the way out the door. Mm -hmm. I think they are. Right. And I think you think that because you've been told that, not because you're guessing, Mm -hmm. that people in Arizona have told you that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Sometimes coaches can kick the can down the road. We saw it at the University of Arizona. We thought the basketball coach was done, but he stretched it out for a couple more years. And then he was done. They didn't have the hardcore evidence that these guys These guys do, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they literally have documentation. The people who are out to get them, got them. But go ahead. You're you're, you're trying to capture me in an inconsistency. You love to do that. And then I always wiggle out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're judge and jury. Yep, I won. No, because I can talk. Pretty good synopsis of how things go around here. (laughs) You try to... See, that's the difference. I try to build him up. We're a team. He tries to get me in inconsistencies. He tried it yesterday when I said the Pac-12 season didn't count. And then he said, well... I think you And then I said they went 2-9 and last year in Baylor. But then you told me the Pac-12 season didn't count. So, But the Baylor season counts. Yeah, because they played 11 games. I think you spoke for a lot of people when you say... You've had a good run of seasons. You're picked to finish second. And now the first and third place teams clearly right. and obviously have issues with the coaching staff. You should get this done. You should be the But team. I said, I agree with that. But what I said was, I can't label a loss in the conference title game a f- pass-fail season. You want to go south, that's another story. Mm-hmm. 
So actually, if Oregon is a real juggernaut, you know what if Oregon precisely is awesome exactly. What if that isn't Ohio State weakness? That is like yeah. Oregon's been landing these four and five stars, and they're ready to deliver yeah. despite injuries. They got the depth too, and they did it without the number one injuries. player in the country. Yeah, that's one of their injuries. <laughs> He's a superstar, and Ohio State might not have got twenty eight points of his. On He's the, the field. closest yeah. thing I've seen to Lawrence Taylor. In college. That's an awesome thing Not to say. Not pros. I know. I mean, he hasn't been to the pros College. Yet. Don't say it yet. This guy's unbelievable. He's yeah. awesome. And he was the number one kid coming out of high school, so it's no big surprise. Right. So, I get and why they, the they won high. in Columbus without him. But you just watched the Utes get pushed around on defense. And you think I it's did. more offense, and you think it's more, the running game was inconsistent. I mean, the running game couldn't get fourth and two, but they did have a back run for well over 100 yards. He's like 12 yards a carry. But they, what they need to do, and I talked to McDonald yesterday, the running back coach, Dude, give this kid more carries. Sure, but it was the other guy who had that average the last week, so they were busy getting him carries, and he fumbled and killed a drive and gave away three points. Yeah, but that's against game. Weber. There's a big and difference I know, between Weber and BYU. I know, but, but Bernard was running against Weber, too, and Thomas ran better against Weber. Fine. And Bernard ran well, but Thomas ran better. Against Weber. whoop de do. Yeah. I'll take the guy who runs better against BYU. Well, they, they will now, too. The South Division champions, BYU Cougars. <laughs> I think Utah has an opportunity to have an excellent season. Even if they lose in the conference title game, they could still have. Because I believe if you win nine games, you've had a good season, ten games. You're still confident in their ability to get to the conference title game. More so than ever. After I've... It's, if we're talking... We spent weeks talking about the disarray of the Sun Devils. Mm-hmm. Well, now they've settled in. The disarray is common. They've been doing this for a month. It's a new normal. These right. guys, their coach gets canned last night after one game. So will they be able to rally and do the us against the world thing? Or will they lose another game, lose their goals, and then guys just try to put Stella on tape to get the NFL? If the top guy goes, that's bigger than some uh, 25-year-old assistant DB coach. It does seem logical, yes. But Orgeron pulled them together pretty well the year he took over. For a team that had just collapsed the season before when their head coach was constant. Yeah, but that was the second time he had done that, too. There's that, too. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Frank Dolce. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Frank, good morning. Hey, DJ. Hey, PK. Hello. Hope you guys are doing well. Oh, man, I've never been better in my life. Why is that? How is that? Uh, because I'm up. I'm alive. I'm healthy. The sun is shining. I uh, think about it, Frank. Just go to a checklist. I'm talking gotcha. to you. Thought, That's probably right at the top. Well, yes. There you go. <laughs> I thought maybe you shot two under par yesterday or something. I don't know. I, that, no, that would be pretty good. It would. The eternal quest for under par is uh, still ongoing. <laughs> Do you think you'll ever get there? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I've been at par. I think if I want to go under par, 
what I need to do is only play nine, not because I'm not capable, but because when I only play nine, it takes the uh-huh. pressure off myself. I can't set a record for my greatest 18 because I'm a mental yeah. midget and I need to take the pressure off. So, yes, I've actually shot under par a time one or two for nine and I had to go. The one time, uh, remember, gosh, we're going back 21 years. I was uh, playing Riverbend and I was at par after nine. And as uh-huh. I'm going to hold 10, I got a call. Uh, Lavelle Edwards is announcing his retirement today at one o'clock. You need to be down at the stadium. And so I had to leave. I literally had to leave right then and there. And I was par after nine and go down. And about two weeks later, I said, Coach, I am rarely, I'm sitting in his office, I'm rarely even after nine. Why couldn't you have announced it like at six o'clock at night? Why'd you have to do it at one o'clock? And, he, and of course, yeah. him with that laugh that he had. <laughs> <laughs> we all know it and loved it. <laughs> yes. Well, golf, golf will do that to you. You know, I, I'm reading a book, and I'm just going to pass it. You, pro- you may have already read it or heard about it, but it's about that part of the game because that's that mental part of the game. It's like, all of a sudden, you're shooting par, and then you talk yourself out of being able to shoot par for the Bing, rest of the bingo, round. Bingo, bingo, bingo. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. I, it's called Golf is Not a Game of Perfect, and it talks about just that same that thing, that mental side of the game. And it's not just ap- applicable to golf, I think. Probably a good life lesson as well. Anyway. Anyway, maybe we're maybe we're getting off topic. topic no, here. it's bringing us exactly to the topic of the week. The Utes are no longer perfect. They got pushed around, according to a coach, in the second half on defense. He can't even remember yeah. the last time that happened. The offense, yeah, at was Oregon, bad with you two, that, that, two turnovers that right away. A couple years ago, yeah, yeah. Uh, the bad. Well, the offense had the two turnovers right away and finished with uh, seventeen points, which isn't going to win very many football games either. But at the same time, USC and ASU have major coaching issues. So are you over the BYU game and now feeling confident about your youths in the Pac-12 or you're dragged down by the thoughts of that game thinking, how can they possibly win the South and get to the conference title game? Oh, well, I think it's maybe uh, a, a little different than that. I'm not, I'm not dragged down about the BYU game at all. Uh, I mean, that was just Utah didn't play well. BYU played pretty well. And... Um, now Utah has an opportunity to go figure it out, and they really have to go figure it out. That, that the, the performance was lacking in areas that I think are critical. And, and so I know Coach talked about mental errors, and those are, you know, you could correct those mental errors. But the problem I saw is that they got pushed around at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. They, they couldn't get pressure on the quarterback. And they tried, you know, four-man rush a lot. They couldn't get pressure on the quarterback. And, the, you know, if they did, then they'd lost contain. And, and that just, I mean, the foundation of Utah football under Kyle Whittingham, started with Coach McBride, is right at the defensive line. It's right at the line of scrimmage. And if you're getting pushed around there, boy, you're, you're in trouble. And that, I think that's what we saw. Uh, we don't see it very often, but that's what we saw Saturday. And then... On the offensive side, uh, I, I thought that same thing, just got pushed around at the line of scrimmage. I, saw, I swear I saw BYU run the same blitz that Weber State ran. They ran BYU ran it several, several times. It caused Brewer lots of problems, and 
it didn't look like Utah ever made an adjustment on that, which was really odd to, to see. And, and so when you have a, a quarterback who's under pressure and a running game that's inconsistent and, you, you know, you're not sure if you can rely on your wide receivers and, and maybe you're not getting to the balls of the tight end enough, um, you're just going to have – you're just going to have problems. I, I, I mean, I just thought they lost the game right at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I think from the offensive perspective, and that's what your specialty is, obviously, as the former quarterback, you can speak to that. Uh, a couple things really did bother me. Uh, you know, that that fourth and uh, two that I think, you know, might have been, who knows, could have made the difference, swayed in Utah's favor if they picked that up because then BYU goes down and, and gets a touchdown uh, on that. So that was a major swing. You can argue well, they missed the extra point, but you can argue that was a 13-point swing uh, in that situation. You don't know what would have happened if they got the first down, but they were super close. And, and plus they had a holding penalty that preceded that play. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that surprised me was the inability to pick up the blitz. And, and I'm wondering now going forward, I mean, all these coaches, San Diego State, they've got capable coaches. Everybody does. There's no question about that, I believe. And so they'll see that uh, from the quarterback perspective. I'm really intrigued to see how Brewer does when he has pressure because I have no doubt he'll pick you apart if he has time and his feet are set and he's in rhythm. He's plenty good enough to eat your defense alive if that's the case. But what will he do under pressure? That's the big thing for me that remains to be seen. It's what separates the great quarterbacks from – the guys like me who just talk about it on the radio. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the guys that can manage pressure, the guys that can hit the curveball in, in, in Major League Baseball, I mean, it, it, it's, the, it's the separating factor. So lots of people, lots of quality athletes can stand in a pocket, no pressure, look around downfield, and eventually find someone open and make a, make a play. Um, but but guys that go on to great things do that same thing with no time, with someone hanging on their back, with pressure in their face, um, with a blocked view downfield. I mean, Peyton Manning could barely throw the ball 15 yards downfield. I'm not sure he ever threw a spiral in his life, but, but he just had the ability under all different circumstances to get the ball where it needed to be. And so that's going to be the thing for, for Brewer. I mean, I thought he had a good first week. He looked very mechanically sound. I think mechanically he was still fine on Saturday, but, but, um, and he didn't get much help up front. I mean, I, I'm not going to put it all on his shoulders. He didn't get much help up front, but he's going to have to make plays under pressure. And that will be the, the thing that separates him or doesn't separate him from the, from the rest. I think he's a quality quarterback. Um, mechanically very good and we'll just see if he can if he can uh, make that make that transition um, it's the most important part of the football field uh, is that quarterback position so he's going to have to perform extraordinarily well for this Utah team to succeed this is a team that's just I mean they're going to have to score 30 points a game I, I think that's that's going to be what they have to do So there's a lot of adjustments when you change programs. And certainly PK's brought up the fact that Big 12 defenses aren't very good, so that's an adjustment, right? You're going to see better defenses. 
But <clears throat> are the coaches going to help him out by playing double tight ends? Because he's going to have to learn pretty quickly to throw the ball to running backs and tight ends because the receivers drop first down passes and step out of bounds when there's nobody around him. <laughs> hey, well, and, first of and all. seriously, I mean, we laugh, but it's like he can't have any confidence in his receivers in the pocket yeah. when a veteran receiver stepped out of bounds. And I thought when they called it, I thought when I see a replay, is he going to be thrown out of bounds? There was nobody around him. And he stretched yeah. out his left leg to get out of bounds. It was, uh, yeah, you know, I'm losing the words to describe the frustration level. But they've got tight ends who can catch it, so play two tight ends. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't disagree with that. First of all, I would like to make the point that um, isn't BYU a, a Big 12 defense now? Uh, I like I mean, to think of that? them maybe as an NFC West defense. <laughs> That's okay. All right. Okay. Uh, that aside, uh, they still they they still have to find a guy on the outside. I mean, Britton Covey. I like Britton Covey a lot, but but um, but I, I don't think he's your. Well, maybe maybe he is. Maybe he is your guy on the outside that you that you throw the ball ten ten times a game. Um, maybe that's just what, what it becomes. And they still have to, you know, where, what ha- where's their slot receivers outside of, I mean, I thought we had some talent there and, but we haven't, we haven't seen those guys. Uh, I'm not, the truth is, I mean, I, I, I think it would be nice for Utah to have a couple of guys on the outside. I don't think it's necessary for the, for Utah to have a couple of guys on the outside to be, successful as a team i mean this is something that we've seen utah face years years and years and years they just it seems like you know maybe they have a guy and maybe they just have a couple guys that are okay but it never seems like they have a standout guy on the outside maybe every few years but they have utah has like an abundance at tight ends they have three tight ends who are all very very capable Two of them, who I think are next level kind of kind of guys, and so I watched Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. I mean, just tear apart NFL defenses. They, those those tight ends create mismatch nightmares. So, absolutely, you know, get those guys the ball fifteen, twenty times a game. Why not? You know, use it until it until they stop it. The, the running backs are, I, I think there's a quality group of running backs. And the thing about these running backs is they seem to catch the ball well out of the backfield. So you utilize that. At one point, I think in the, in this uh, game against BYU, the tight ends and the running backs were the leading receivers. Maybe it ended up that way. So, so you, have your, you have weapons. And, and, and I, I think Utah will figure out the run game. I, I like Makai Bernard. Um, I like I like both. I, I mean, I like I like their choice of backs, but I think Bernard kind of separated himself uh, against BYU. So, I like in terms of skill position, I think that Utah has enough talent to be successful to win a lot of games. the The real core issue I have with that team, though, is right up front. Like two games in now. We've had two performances that I think have been average at best, and so until they get that part cleaned up, I mean, it, it seems like it doesn't necessarily matter if you have Brewer or Rising or any of the quad running backs in the backfield or who you have running around on the outside. 
um, get it cleaned up up front first, and I think the other pieces fall into place. So I'm talking to Britton Covey. He was made available uh, after Monday. They always have the offensive players, and that guy is just a gem to interview, obviously. Man, he could be a public speaker right now. And I asked him about, you know, you can you compare this, even though it's not a conference game, compare this with that loss in 2019 when we were down in the Coliseum and uh, they threw over the top and some NFL receivers made some jump ball catches and the Utes lost to SC. And Kyle Whittingham said afterward, this doesn't detract from our goals. I don't think anybody's going to go undefeated in the South. No one actually has gone undefeated in the 10-plus uh, years that the conference yeah. has existed. Uh, and he said, well, we, we have a chance to accomplish our goals. And they did. They obviously won the next eight games, and they did win the South. And by asking Britain, you see some similarities. It's not a conference game, but the emotion of playing BYU obviously is right there with, uh, in many cases, it supersedes conference opponents, but it's even, I think, they're playing SC. So can this be a reset? He said, yes, of course he's going to say yes. We understand that. What do you think? Well, I I said yesterday that I thought, um, you know, Utah should be sounding the alarms in the building after that game because this is a I, – I know I realize it's only two games in and um, – I realize it's just one loss, but one loss turns into two losses pretty, pretty quickly. I, 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 you, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, Coach Featherstone, yeah. Um, yeah, and how great he was, and um, we we had come off an undefeated season at El Camino. Uh, we came into the next season, we lost. It was, I think, it was our second game of the year. We lost, and the uh, Monday following, it was like. Uh, captain's meeting, team. I mean, before we even got on the practice, captain's meeting, team meeting, uh, offensive meeting, defensive meeting, everything broken apart because we had to reset the, what that football team was all about. Like that, our goal was to win championships and to win championships, you have to win games and it's every, you know, you, you go out and you win every game. And so, when you lose, that sets off the alarm. And I feel like that has to happen with Utah a little bit. That's a team that, that um, I, I think maybe it's going too far to say they were unprepared, but they didn't look engaged in parts of that football game. And that's a rivalry game. I mean, that's the one that you're all, where you're always engaged. And so I think this is an excellent opportunity for a football team that seems to have a lot of talent to get refocused and to use this opportunity as a wake-up call heading into their last non-conference game. Um, I, I mean, it looks like the South is a little bit in disarray, but, uh, I, you know, firing a head coach, sometimes that, that turns out to be a rallying cry. And there's no more talented football team across the board than USC and you're going down to play them in the Coliseum. So if you think USC is down and you're going to, you know, you're going to go into that thing the wrong way because that, that team can rise up and, and just beat anybody. They just have too much talent. They have so much talent on the field. So, um, and, and, and BYU, I, this is, this is not a shot. I mean, I, I keep getting feedback on this. This is not a shot against BYU, but BYU is not the most difficult challenge that Utah is going to face this year. So, I, I feel like this is, like you said, PK, this is a chance to reset, a chance for a wake-up call and to get 
things going back in the right direction. So <laughs> when you say it's not a shot, Frank, you know, immediately people just double down on it is a I, shot. I <laughs> you know, know how I that know. works. But I know. the easiest I know. explanation for you fans as far as the rest of the season, although it might you know, hurt along the Wasatch Front to have to admit it to friends and relatives and coworkers, is that BYU is really good and made Utah look that bad. A few of those mistakes are self-inflicted, but that is, BYU is really good. Very few teams or programs are able to go up and blow Boise State off the field on the blue turf, and they did that a year ago. And... You know, we didn't have a lot of games to measure them against because they weren't playing Power 5 teams and teams we're familiar with and that we watch all the time, so it's easy to dismiss it. But their one loss is to a team that's still ranked and just beat a Big 12 school by, I don't know, three or four touchdowns. They dominated them. So maybe BYU's that good, and that's part of Utah's problem. Or you really want to double down on that engage thing, and there's something wrong that's got to be fixed because if you try to play football without emotion, you're going to get drilled. Well... I, I, I make no mistake. I'm not saying that BYU is a bad football team. It's a, that's a good matchup with with Utah. Like physically, athletically, I think that's a very very good matchup. But that's not a that's not a national championship team down south. No, it's I only mean, September. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're absolutely right, PK. So did did, uh, did Utah lose to a bad team? No. No. Did Utah lose to a beatable team? Yes. I mean, there's. I, the, the, if you want to take that as a shot, you can take that as a shot. But I, I just, I, I think that's, I think that's fairly objective. Um, and 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 by the way, I'll say this about about that football team. Aaron Roderick did a fantastic job of having that team prepared and a game, a winning game plan. I liked what he did on the offensive side. I liked the way he used Hall and, and his running game and the, the weapons that he had available. Fantastic job. Uh, terrific job coaching on the defensive side. The game plan, uh, pressuring the quarterback, keeping people contained. Um, I mean, I, I just thought they, they played that game really well. So, and I think, you know, Coach, Winning, Coach Winningham always says it after a loss, and, and I, think it, I think it's sincere. It's like, hey, if we lose, then it starts with the coach, and we got out coach. And I think that's, there's probably some truth in that in, in this football game. Frank, we'll leave it right there, and uh, let us know how it goes with Cougar fans over the next 24 hours. I'm, I'm really uh, excited to hear about the feedback you get from what <laughs> okay. you just said. I've, I, will, I, I mean, look, I, 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 there's no animosity in that. So if, they, if there's feedback, that's okay. I'll take it. I, I, I feel like I'm being fairly uh, objective and fair about those, about those comments. So I will absolutely stand by it. And I, just, I do want to, want to once again uh, congratulate Kalani. Kalani is um, salt of the earth. He's one of the best guys around. And as much as I hate Utah to lose, and to lose that game in particular, good win for Kalani and, and for that football program. Frank Dolce, he's our Ute insider analyst for the Zone Sports Network. You hear him here every week, not only on this show, but on shows all across the station. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, you guys. Great to talk to you. Have a great week. You know what's funny is that when Kyle says, uh, he doesn't just mention BYU, but to say Kalani, I love mm-hmm. the guy, support the guy. Well, he takes heat for that 
but yet so many Ute fans are saying the exact same thing. Right. Because <laughs> they don't like BYU, but yeah. they do like Kalani. Yeah. But I think so that wh- why if you're are BYU have... fans jumping on Kyle for doing that when so many, everybody's doing it. Everybody is doing it, but, yeah. you know, Kyle's the guy. So. But it's natural. It, he doesn't want to lose to BYU, but you feel good for that guy because you like that guy. Yes. What do you expect be, him to say? It would be hypocritical to say anything else because everybody does like Kalani. For sure. Kalani makes everybody feel important, greets people by name, all that stuff. He's busy. He's a CEO of a football team. But he's got time for everybody. Right. All right. Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver, is going to join us at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. James Empey, what happens in that locker room? You guys come off the field. Uh, kind of take us through. Do you sit and wait? Does Kalani come in? Like, who's addressed and how does that go? Coach addressed us, you know, talked about players that had a big game. We recognized all the coordinators, both A-Rod and E and Coach Lamb on special teams for their role and having us prepared and then just had a dance party and it was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> are you dancing? Or are you just kind of letting everybody else do their thing? We got to watch E dance and A Rod dance and all those guys. And uh, then I think we finished with the electric slide. So that was a that was a blast. <laughs> there you go. You gotta feel it. It's electric. Hanson Scotting weekdays from ten to two on 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. So, PK, in addition to college football, and we've talked a lot of college football this morning, the NFL has kicked off. The Monday night game was outrageously entertaining. I didn't watch it. Filled with tons of mistakes. Watch the whole both thing. these teams going forward. But it was wildly entertaining as they turned the ball over back and forth in overtime. I don't know that I've seen an overtime where there were turnovers on consecutive possessions. We're at the one-yard line. We'll back up. We'll throw a Check pick. the Elias Sports Bureau, I guess. Yeah, there it is. Sunday in primetime, the Rams beat the Bears. Anything catch your eye in that game, he says, knowing full well something did catch your eye in that game. Matthew Stafford looked really good, but at the game was Dwayne Wade. He lives in Los Angeles, and Dwayne Wade was pictured wearing a jazz uniform shorts. He had the old ones that uh, the purple UJ with the mountain logo on mm-hmm. the side that they used to wear. What in the nineties? I can always I, I always picture them. They wore them in the finals, wearing that yeah. uniform. Yeah, they wore them in the finals. And there he and is. They brought them back. They've worn them since then too. But so he was in a in a uh, luxury box, obviously, uh, of course, with uh, M Shadows, who you know is the lead singer of the band Avenged Sevenfold, and entrepreneur JJ Jones, but. Dwayne Wade just can't get enough of the jazz. And I think that if you're serious about wanting to be involved in the jazz, you should have jazz gear on. (laughs) PK's wearing a hoodie. Christmas party hoodie. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I'm serious about the Pac-12 network. Is that what I'm serious about? Yeah. Yeah. The jazz? Yeah. I I have a jazz hoodie on right now because it's an ice box here in the studio. DJ's a company, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Got the 1280 of the zone Yeah, but I take it higher. You do, PK. You always do. 
How about this? Dwayne Wade is not some guy who's just put some money in. This I'm surprised. Maybe I shouldn't have been. Maybe it's on me. To the level of his commitment now. This guy's how often you're seeing him at games. Yeah. How much you see him wearing gear when he's yeah. elsewhere doing whatever else he's doing. In this case, watching a football game. Yeah, sure. Yeah. First game with fans at the new stadium there. Sci-Fi, I think they call it, or SoFi. SoFi. Uh, and uh, over there in Inglewood. And yeah. It seems like everywhere he shows up, there's a connection to the Jazz. This doesn't seem like a casual partnership. Maybe I'm wrong there. But it seems like he's involved. And that can't hurt. I don't know to what degree it helps, but minimally it can't hurt. And there's going to be more than it just minimally it can't hurt. This is a positive. This is a major positive. I'm, I'm very surprised. And we had Joe Ingles talking last year that he was always around. He was always there. He told us that on our show. And Joe's already locked up for next this coming season. Good. Yeah, Joe. Joe's sunrises, sunsets. Yeah. You can count on it. Yeah. It used to be in the before times uh, that the media and a large chunk of the fan base would be in that circle on the ground floor. And so you would see people coming and going. Now, trying to keep the players separate from the public, making sure the players are healthy and players are available for all the games, there's way less traffic down there. There's just a handful of people, all club approved, down on that level. So we don't really have a sense of how much he's around. So when Joe told us on the, on the air, you know, all, all we would know is if you see him at a game or the cameras catch him at a game, then you know. But even that doesn't tell you how much he's around the team and the players. But it turns out it's quite a bit. Yeah. I think the thing that matters for the long run here, because sometimes you see athletes buy in and then sell out as kind of a short-run deal, but he's always sitting with Ryan Smith, and they kind of indicated in that first one, they didn't really spell it out, but there were going to be other projects that they were going to work on together. Entrepreneurial, starting companies, building relationships, whatever they're doing. So I think the fact that that relationship, not that I know much about it because they don't, but just a little bit I've heard about it makes me think, well, they got multiple irons in the fire here. And so that builds a stronger relationship and probably can lead to more buy-in with the one most people care about, which is the jazz. Because that's not the only thing they're partnered on. Right. This is what we care about. Right. We care about the team winning. Britton Covey cares about the team winning. Yeah. Britton. He said that yesterday. Britton Covey. Well, he brought up the Jazz. Oh, I thought you meant his team winning. Right? No, no. Well, yeah. I mean, the but Jazz. The jazz, jazz winning. Yeah, but he's, he's a local guy. He's a Tim Few High guy, so I'm not, I'm not surprised by but that. But he brought it up yesterday. The timing would be a little surprising. I'll give you that. We'll hear from Britton Covey. Coming up next, Britton Covey on the way, and then Dylan Cauley at 9.05. PK talking with Britton yesterday. We'll play that for you next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. 
former BYU quarterback Tanner Mangum. Want to get your thoughts on the quarterback play from Jaron Hall? Certainly made a bunch of big plays. Jaron had the game of his life. Maybe statistically it wasn't monstrous, but the way he played was exactly what BYU needed. He does such a good job of not relying too heavily on his running ability. He obviously has it, but he doesn't get happy feet. He mixes it in right when it's needed most. And I thought he did that really well on Saturday. That play towards the end of the game where he stayed in the pocket, waited, waited, scrambled a little bit, created time, and then hit Hill down to the goal line. That play right there kind of epitomized his skill set, his throwing ability, but also his ability to extend plays. It was huge. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. A reminder, Lendride Mortgage will be live with DJ and PK Friday morning to help you get the lowest rates on your new mortgage or refinance. Listen Friday morning, visit LendrideMortgage.com for more information. All right, PK, you were up at Utes yesterday. I went up for uh, Kyle's press conference at 11. You went up for the Ute players at 5 o'clock, and you talked with Britton Covey. We're about to listen to that before we jump in. One big takeaway, one thing you're listening for here. Uh, leadership matters at this time. All right, here is PK with Britton Covey. It's it's so easy to be a leader when things are going great. I don't even know if that is leadership because everybody's kind of leading themselves in that point. So when things are going really hard and things are rough, that leadership is really important. So I've talked with some of the leaders about this. The most important thing that we can do is... Um, in my opinion, is take ownership of what you control. It's so easy to put the blame on other things. You know, I'm sure, like, uh, players want to put the blame on coaches. Coaches want to put the blame on players. I mean, if you go on social media, you'll see people calling for Coach Witt's job and and things like that. And it's just so easy to get wrapped up in whose fault it is and things. And and it's all about just taking ownership um, because that gives... I don't know. It brings a sense of freedom to you. It's like, I control this. I don't control a lot of what's outside of me, right? Circle of influence, circle of control. Uh, So for me right now, it's talking to the position group leaders and saying, you need to talk to your position group to take ownership. Um, Because, you know, I'm not going to have the biggest effect on the linebacker group, but Devin Lloyd will. I'm not going to have the biggest effect on the DBs, but uh, Vontae Davis will. So I'm going to talk to them and say, let's get together as your groups and take ownership of this. And like I said, somber today, really somber in the facility. You know, we got humbled, um, which I think is good. But man, you don't want that to last for more than a day, in my opinion. I, I just don't think that that's good for a team. You got to get your swagger back. You got to be happy. You got to come to work, you know, excited. And, and so I think that's what I'm going to try and do. <clears throat> Can you relate it to 2019? It was it was a conference game, but it was still early in the year. You lost that first game, and there was a lot of frustration in the post-game interviews and doing, when we were doing all that. And Coach Whittingham said, well, everything is still in front of us. We can win the next game, the next eight games, and you did. Yeah, well, it, anyone that says that you won't lose in life is just lying. You're going to lose. It's not a matter of you know if, but it's when. And it's all about just, you know, it's so um, – What's the word cliche? It's so cliche, but it all, it's all about how you respond, especially a loss early in the season. A loss in midseason, I don't think is as disappointed as, as a loss early in the season because you go into the season not thinking you're going to lose a single game, right? Such high expectations. You lose one early to your rival, and it's just devastating. But then you realize that doesn't affect a single thing in our conference play. Our goal is still to win the Pac-12 championship, go to the Rose Bowl, things like that. 
And that's where the leadership comes in, I think. It's very similar to 2019. You saw what that team did, right? Mm -hmm. So it's so easy as a fan. I mean, I know this because I'm a jazz fan, right? It's so easy to overreact to certain (laughs) things in certain games. Um, But you got to simplify things and say, okay, where can we improve? Um, You you watch the film and there were certain things where it's just so obvious that, okay, that's why it didn't work. It was just one thing. And Mm so simplifying things i think that 2019 cast had a great group of leaders but do you make sure though that you don't try to do too much like in your case you know if the offense is sputtering on saturday and you get a punt but it doesn't set up for a good return you got to make sure that you're still doing the right thing yes absolutely and it's hard to i think sometimes you want to you know i want to take every punt and not call fair catches and things like that but that's where it goes back to okay you have to trust people who do things that aren't your your position Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. it's all about taking ownership of your job and trusting the guys in their job and it's hard to do that it's kind of like delegating right it's really hard to delegate certain things but it's at the end of the day the best leaders do that you talked about being somber and to a certain degree that's healthy right but you can't be somber too long how would you evaluate the duration of the somberness now and now you still got uh, you know you got to get get past it right i was telling jeff um Everybody, you know the saying that everybody grieves differently or mourns differently. I think that's true, but for the sake of respecting a lot of the competitors in the building, I think that we make it a rule that everybody has to come in and have that demeanor. Because if I come in and I see two players joking around, I freak out at them. You know, I got mad at a couple younger guys today because they were joking around before the lift. Um, Just as a thing of respect to the competitors in the room that it still just hurts, you know. Uh, But man, you do not want that to carry over, especially early in the season. You can't have that carry over. That's why I said you can't overreact. You can't have that carry over. I'm going to come in tomorrow and be goofy Brit. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to go in and get in a fight during practice. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it just, you got to come in and, because we had swagger and you lose it for a weekend, but man, you bring it back and that's up to you. It's, you know, don't rely on someone else to bring it back. Is that swagger easily lost and is it easily to get back? How does that work? It's easily lost. It's difficult to get back, I think, just realistically. Uh, That's why you need multiple people to do it. And uh, you need your your leaders to do it. You need Devin Lloyd to come out with that swagger. You need to have a bounce-back game where you bring that swagger back. I mean, you see it, I think, every week in college football where (laughs) if we have a great game this weekend, you know, next week, it's just like that comes back. You, You know, it's all about... Yeah, like Stanford did. Uh, yeah, like Stanford. Think of Stanford after last game. I'm sure all their fans were calling for Coach Shaw to be fired or whatever. Like yeah, that. That's yeah. just the reality of sports nowadays. Uh, but now, my best friend Gabe plays for Stanford, and everybody's like, this is our year, right? So that's just kind of how it is. And yeah. you got to roll with the punches, never too high, never too low, and know where your value lies. Know that this team is good. Bring that swagger. and yeah. Did, you, did you hear that Clay Hilton got fired? I did hear that. Like maybe yeah. that opens it up even more in the South in anybody's yeah. game? Well, I mean, that was surprising. I didn't even know that would that could happen that early in the season. I talked to Clay at Pac-12 Media Day. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea what impact that would, would have on a team. You know, if Coach Witt got fired, that would be a big thing, you know, so early on. So, you know, a feel for him, that's tough. I'm curious, kind of an open-ended question, but what was your biggest takeaway from the game this weekend? Um, 
I've been so disappointed that it's been hard to take much away until today, I would say. I would say my biggest takeaway is that it's similar to 2019's loss at USC, where it opens our eyes to a couple things that we can do better, that I think we need to do better if we're going to be a great team. And uh, we'll see how we implement that this week going into practice. Uh, it, honestly, credit to BYU. They, they were very well prepared. Uh, they played an amazing game. Um, but it just opens our eyes to a few things that I think we need to do better. There's Britton Covey. He sucks as an interview. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing close to that. He's gonna miss that kid. He is money. Yeah. Oh man, it irritates everybody to have whenever your team has success, and this is mostly a BYU thing. Although in this case, it's a Utah thing. You know, the whole the twenty-four-year-old men against our eighteen-year-old boys. Like you're only starting true freshmen. Stop it. But. His maturity at this point, he's 24, or I don't know, maybe he's 25 now, whatever. 32. He's not 32, he's 24. The rules allow it, so what's the difference? I I don't I know, I know. But but you can just hear the maturity in his voice, and it's just, that's got to be a bonus. Now, will they turn that, it's an advantage, but will they capitalize on it remains to be seen. But his perspective on leadership, and that just echoes Kyle, because Kyle referenced leadership in his press conference, they've clearly been talking about it. Like, leadership when you're winning, that's easy. <laughs> it's like, this is when it really matters. This is when it's hard and when it really pays off. It's harder to turn things around than it is to keep things rolling. And keeping things rolling isn't an automatic. It still has to be done. Winning can go to your head and you can get a little loose with the details and all that stuff. Right. I agree with you. You can get yeah. fat and happy, but it's harder turn the ship around when it's sailing in the wrong direction. I agree with you. Uh, you know, in, in 2019, I think the difference is they had so much talent and so many great leaders on that team that I don't want to say it was easy because it wasn't, but it was easier to see them doing it than right now. But at the same time, I think they've got enough leadership, uh, maybe not as much as they had before or talent as they had before. But it seems like for 15 years... Every time, you know who is backed in a corner. (laughs) Mr. Softy, when he is down, he manages to come out and just be like a freaking roaring lion. Come out swinging, baby. So many times. So I'm not going to count him out. It's like LeBron. I'm not counting him out until he gets his fourth loss. Is this enough? Is this what enough? The loss to BYU. It was humbling. That's the word Britton just used, and he's right. It was humbling. But are they really backed in a corner? Because to your point, no, no, you're I don't, right I don't that think it's, so. not, no, no. it's not a conference game. No. And they really well, want to. They're going to lose at some point. They really want to lose. They really want to win the conference. Yeah. And they're still 0-0 zero and zero in the conference no matter what happens in Provo. It turns out they lost. You get Charlie Brewer. Did he really understand the nature of the rivalry? I mean, just the, these guys are coming in. They're imports. They're coming in for a, a few months. Yeah. And it reminds me of the Warriors. Remember when we were saying the Warriors, are they going to win the next 10 titles? But something was going to happen. We just didn't know what. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with BYU and Utah. It's hard to beat a team 10 times in a row. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Dylan Carley, former BYU wide receiver, joins us next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Dylan Colley on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. 
Dylan Colley, how happy are you? I am uh, pretty enthused. It was a decent <laughs> weekend, to say the least. What did you guys do? <laughs> Not as much praying and fasting as you. I remember your prediction, and I thought during that game, I thought, look at him go. He hasn't eaten since he was on the radio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Starved myself. I saw those two interceptions and thought, Dylan's been working it. <laughs> First rain, then a BYU victory. What are you people up to next? <laughs> exactly. Don't ever question it. <laughs> So what was the, to you, the most impressive part of that win? The one thing that, aside from the win, and you want to beat your rival, but I know you want the rest of the season to go really well, too, and you saw it and you thought, if they can do that, then it's going to be really good going forward. Yeah, I, I mean, you kind of, uh, you look at the way the offensive line played and the kind of just dominance up front, Um and it's hard not to think, hey, this group of guys up front led by James Empey, if they continue to do what they did throughout the entire season, it's going to be very, very difficult to beat BYU. Um, and, you know, with that foundation, obviously everything just kind of fell into place with the rest of it, right? And, you know, the, the running backs were able to run at 100 miles an hour downhill, and make contact, you know, a yard, two yards past the line, which is, is absolutely critical. And so those little things just don't happen without without the offensive line, that, you know, uh, in the way that they play. So I'm stepping back after they won on Sunday thinking, you know, what are we going to talk about and how do we put this in perspective? And the one thing that came to my mind is the maturity of the program. And what I mean by that, you got Kalani Sitake's in his sixth year. And so he's a first-time head coach. You got uh, Tuiaki, defensive coordinator, first-time defensive coordinator. He's in his sixth year. You got a bunch of guys on the defensive staff, Ed Lamb, uh, General Guilford. Those guys have been there for a while. Offensively, after two years, they go and make significant changes, obviously. They bring in Jeff Grimes. He takes off. But they bring in Fessy Zataki, who'd been a coordinator at Weber. They've been at A-Rod, who'd been a coordinator at Utah. So all of a sudden now, you got all sorts of experience. Plus, we know with LDS guys, they go on missions. Maybe it takes a year for them to get the body back. So the point being that it's going to take a few years. It's not like every most every other program in the country. You sign somebody. You bring them in. In the following season, and then he's ready to go. If not, then by the next year at BYU, it takes two to three, maybe even four years. Mm-hmm. Look at Jaron Hall in his fourth year. So the point I'm making is that this is where the program is at, and it took some time to get there. Now, with that in mind, you can see that. But do you think the program has arrived now to where okay? We've got it because now you'll send kids out to do their mission, but you also get kids back now. So the cycle will be what it is. And we should expect, especially with Big 12 membership, the program going forward to be able to win consistently. Yeah, I, I, I arrived. I don't know if that is, is the right mindset yet. I think there's probably another, you know, depending on how consistent they say this season and then going into next season, I that type of success will truly determine the future. Are they, is the momentum better than it has been? And obviously, you know, probably a decade plus 100%. And 
I think they're in a extremely, extremely good place to kind of catapult themselves into that discussion where it is, hey, BYU's going to win consistently, you know, for the next 10, 15 years because of the talent that, you know, we'll expect to have uh, due to, you know, obviously the maturity in the program, due to the announcement of, of the Big 12 and, and all those pieces. And so um, arrived, probably not. Uh, headed there and, and doing it quickly, absolutely. It was it was a very fast two-year turnaround. And and what we've seen has happened, you know, probably quicker than most most programs in regards to where they were at and now where they're headed. So it sounds like you're taking a little bit of a wait-and-see attitude. So with Arizona State coming in, are you a little worried that that big emotional win, there's going to be a letdown and you're going to be slamming on the brakes by Saturday night? No. And I think that goes back to the maturity, right? I think if there was one opportunity, like I said the week before, this win determines really what goes forward. Um, and, you know, ultimately there is going to be no greater pressure that outside sources put on Jaron and put on the BYU team uh, than, you know, what they've had this last week, right? Everybody wanted them, especially from, right, the, the northern side, even though it's not a rivalry to them, right? Everybody from the northern side wanted BYU, the momentum to come to a halt Saturday night, and that's what was expected. And so to have somebody like Jaron, who's never started in this game, never played in this game, to come in and show the patience, right, show the maturity that he did, I mean, there isn't going to be a tougher mental task put on him the rest of this season, unless, right, now I'm not getting ahead of myself here, unless they went out and are looking at, you know, buying for a playoff option, only because, right, that is a, a potential step. You know what I'm saying? So the rest of the season, he's able to look back and say, okay, I got through that and look at how I did it, right? Now he just kind of has a clear path to use it as, you know, that foundation and, and stepping stone to, to start, you know, taking baby steps even higher. I'm interested to know what you think about the Big 12 membership and what that can do. The way I look at it is that there's going to be, uh, particularly in the West, a fair amount of kids who are going to want to go to BYU because they're because it is BYU, they're of the uh, religious aff- affiliation. I look at your brother Austin, who was a big-time player, mm-hmm. could have gone to a number of schools, obviously played in the NFL, but he wanted to BYU for you know football and probably the religious connection. So they'll get those kids, but how about the possibility of expanding to maybe get some other kids and really make a difference in a program? Uh, it's going to be – it is going to be absolutely huge. I think the main name you look at in the past and you say, okay, what's the potential, right, is, is Jamal, is Jamal Williams. Uh, kid from Fontana, right, came in, non-member, um, and really took hold of the BYU culture, right, and said, hey, I'm not going to really conform. There is not this – there might be some pressure to, right, especially almost 10 years ago, but I'm going to be myself and watch me succeed. And so you use that and you see kind of the guys um, that, uh, you know, are willing, right? Five-star, four-star guys that even before the Big 12 membership this past couple of years are saying, yeah, BYU is a place to be. 
And now that momentum is only going to carry. And I talk about momentum because right now I don't think that there's a program, uh, you know, within, you know, outside of maybe, you know, the, the other power fives and the SEC teams, right? But when you talk about momentum in recruiting, BYU has probably the most, most momentum going forward because of the Big 12. And then you look at guys that are willing and wanting to play at a program that has, you know, a winning culture, and that's where they're headed. A program that's in the power five, and that's where they're headed. A program that has, you know, unbelievable swag and partnerships with some of the largest companies in the world, one of the best Nike partnerships in the world, right? You take those three things and you give that to an 18-year-old kid, it's, uh, it's a shoe-in, right? No matter what is happening outside of that, those three things are going to carry recruiting for a very long time. And then you look at the values of the school, uh, and it's the same thing that happened for Nicole Williams, Jamal's mom. And she said, I want my son to be here. And so all of those things kind of lined up, and then you end up having, right, in my opinion, the greatest running back in BYU history. Dylan Colley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. Everything's coming up roses. You sound very positive right now. Are there any potholes you see going forward? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always going to be, you know, how does everybody respond, right? Or how long can you stay on cloud nine and what's your mindset moving forward? It goes back to, are we looking at it as a foundational thing or are we looking at it as, oh, we're already at the top? And it can be difficult with all of the hype and with everything and the notoriety, right, and the attention. It's kind of difficult to look at it as, hey, we're just getting started. People can say it, but how do we actually mean it, right? And so the the big question is going to be how does this team, you know, look at it as, hey, we still have a long way to climb, even though we're going to get there together, right, and we have a really good opportunity to, we can't fall off thinking that this is the top of it, right? Because we're only two games into the season. So that's that's hands down my biggest worry. About the Nakua brothers, what they bring, you know, there was a little bit of trash talking, taking off the helmets. That's something we normally see in Provo, but is that something that's actually needed? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you look at you look at the other guys that have brought that type of mentality. You look at the mentality that Max and Austin brought to the game. You look at the mentality that Jamal brought to the game, right? There's this chip on the shoulder and confidence knowing, hey, we really, we can't be stopped. And, and you're going you're gonna to have to stop me because I'm not stopping, right, myself. And so what Puka and Samson did Saturday, Puka, right, coming in, doing what he did, expected, necessary, right, to play that physical. That's why he is the highly touted receiver that he is, and that's why he's going to be unbelievably successful. What Samson did on Saturday, even outside of the play, to mentally break down that team, right, that he really did. He, he left, okay, for obviously different reasons that we – you know, can assume and say, hey, yep, you wanted to go play at BYU. But the reaction that you, the teammates were giving him, right, kind of that, hey, you're being cut off, the friendship, the loyalty, and then to have him come back and do what he did, right, and then to kind of open it up, I don't think people understand how difficult that is 
for someone and for an entire team to take, right? And I think that was a huge part of kind of that mental dominance that BYU had on Saturday simply because of what Samson was doing to his whole team. And, you know, are there moments where it can become a little much? Sure. But ultimately, right, those penalties and, and that kind of, you know, uh, that mentality that, that those two dudes had, and especially Samson and what he was able to kind of do to his old team, um, that's the type of mentality that needs to be carried the rest of the season. So what's your level of confidence for being Arizona State? Both teams are 2-0. and Both teams are ranked. Whoever loses this, that's early in the season and kind of disappear off the national radar. But if you win this at 3-0, and a little higher ranked, it sets the stage for the next thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're going up against a very, very similar team to Utah, right? And, and then being in the Pac-12, I think that there is going to be a little bit of a, hey, these guys – you know, like I said, Saturday night, these guys think that they have a place in the Pac-12. Um, and so they're, you know, obviously a very athletic team. They're extremely well coached. Uh, I think they're one of those teams that's starting to turn a corner in terms of momentum in the same way that BYU has. And so, you know, you have uh, the opportunity to really kind of close out uh, a solid three weeks. Um, you know, I I do believe that BYU is in the best position to win, um, especially with it being back at Lavelle Edwards Stadium uh, and kind of the energy that was brought this last weekend. I, I think that continues on, um, and you know it, it's obviously going to be a very good game. But uh, I think I think BYU is in the driver's seat. So the last time BYU fans stormed the field, and I had no problem with them doing it. It's fun. It's college, so you know, go ahead and do it. <laughs> was uh, September fourteenth. Uh, 2019 against SC, right? You remember that game was in uh-huh. overtime. Yeah. And the point I'm getting to is that it's such emotion expense, expended as it was uh, Saturday night. And then I'm looking at the schedule right now, and then they lose the next three weeks. Uh, Washington handled them at home, and then they go to Toledo and South mm-hmm. Florida and lose. So what's your level of concern on carryover emotionally? Yeah, there's, I mean, once again, right, you go back to the level of the maturity of the team. The USC win, right, did that deserve a, a storming of the field? Probably not. Um, and so, you know, the, the leadership and the guys that are, are here now have been there long enough to see that they've lost those three games after last USC win, right? Uh like I said, is it something to worry about? Absolutely, right? Because it's a matter of what your mindset is and where your vision's at. Is it a foundational win or is it the cloud nine? And if you're already at cloud nine, then everything else you're kind of looking down as, you know, hey, it doesn't really matter. Whereas I believe the program is in a position, especially with the coaches in place now, that, hey, it's a foundational win, and we go up from here. And so that energy from the team needs to be kind of shown throughout the season. It doesn't matter really what the fans do, right? The fans are going to be obnoxious. The fans are going to do what they want. As long as the team stays within the locker room and, and focuses on the next one, then you know, they, should, they should be able to overcome. Dylan, as always, we appreciate the time. We will talk to you next week. And uh, I think most of the fan base just looks to you now. More fasting, more praying, 3-0, baby. It's all you. You've got the power.
Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Dylan okay. Cauley. All right, Dan. Dylan Cauley took a deep breath, predicted BYU over Utah, backed his guys, and got it right. Now, can they double down? Could you bring up an important point there, PK? We know it's a sport of emotion. Been told a million times how important it is. We've seen how important it is. The last time they had a win like this at home, it didn't go well afterwards. No, they lost three. Then they turned around and won five. That was a season of streaks. <laughs> it was very crazy. And I think in that South Florida, I think Zach played the whole Toledo game, but got hurt in South Florida. And Jaron came in, and they in South Florida were not very good. He broke his uh, hand against Toledo, and then Jaren's, right at the end, right, Jaron started against South Florida, threw a yeah. pick, yes, and, and chasing him and down. was chasing him down, and got hurt right at the end of the game. Uh, so it's important to back it up, you know. And a lot of emotion was expended. And I just remember that time that uh, the Utes had BYU in his emotional game, and then they went down to Tempe and just yep. got rolled, man. And they weren't even competitive in that game. It was over. It was over early. And I think that was the game Kyle said, you're a Sun Devil, you're, now you're enjoying this. I'm thinking, ooh, I'm cringing over here. <laughs> I'm not enjoying this whatsoever. So it's, it comes back to the emotional maturity of the program. And there's obviously guys on the team right now who were there two years ago and remember what happened against USC. And is that enough to prevent it from happening yeah, again? Or it happens it, again? I, I don't think it happens again. See, the Washington game... Now, Washington, I can argue, was better than the Devils. Remains to be seen. It's so early in the season, you don't know. Uh, that was the fourth game, uh, not the second game. When they played SC, they had already uh, lost to the Utes. Uh, they had the Tennessee win, which was emotional. Mm-hmm. Overtime, two. They, they say two overtimes. I just view it as all as overtime. Uh, and then they come back. Now it's at home. But then the Washington game was also at home. It was 45-19. You know, I think I, I think I, Smoke pretty good there. Yeah, got rolled. Uh, so I don't think it'll be that bad. I don't know that they'll win, but I don't think that they'll get smoked by any stretch. I can see where the emotion plays a factor, and maybe we're sitting here next week saying, well, that was the difference in the game. I don't think it'll carry over to three weeks. Because the program's in a better place, the emotional maturity, the coaches more experienced, all that stuff. I don't think it'll get that out of hand. But that doesn't make Arizona State a slam dunk by any stretch. Oh, yeah. I think it's if you just look at the line, it's like two or three you said yeah. yesterday. So obviously it can go either way. Uh, it's, it's a very nice test. The schedule this year is just awesome. Uh, the, all these Pac-12 teams, especially for me, you know, it's what I live for. Although I will make the transition very much easily to following Big 12 in a couple of years. I'm very it much started looking. last weekend. Oh, totally. And now... Yeah, we lock onto these schools. Yeah, I'm, I yeah, that that's re-energized me. I can only imagine the athletic program. I'm I'm excited for them. Conference games, they just simply matter. I've said it for years that conference games. You take a team that isn't necessarily that good, but it's a conference game. We've seen it a thousand times in the back twelve, back ten. Teams that should not win. It's a conference game at home. They get jacked up, and then they win. We've seen it so many freaking times. And ASU beats Oregon and knocks them out of the playoff. Yeah. That's the best, most recent example. Shocking, shocking loss there for the Ducks with a with a great quarterback, NFL dude. And NFL running backs, maybe, you know, Verdell was younger than just a freshman. Now he's a junior. He's a stud. and Die is a stud. Johnny Johnson, those guys were young. They're still on the still in the program, by the way. Now, 
Johnny Johnson, of course, you know where he played his high school ball, don't you? Yeah, in the Phoenix area. <laughs> I was trying to decide whether to guess Phoenix or Thunderbird. That was literally what I was weighing. I'm like, no, it can't be Thunderbird. I'd know if it were Thunderbird. No, we only put out soccer guys. Oh, you do? Yeah. That's it? <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show, we'll catch you up to date next. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a disappointing loss in the Holy War, the Utes look to rebound as they hit the road to square off against an old Mountain West Conference rival in San Diego State. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Give us to Williams right up the middle. He's got a hole. 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Tyson Williams. And welcome to the Baltimore Ravens. Takes a snap, fires on a cross, spin. Jackpot, baby! Vegas touchdown! Card to Darren Waller! Blitz is picked up. Jones is open! Jackpot, baby! Vegas touchdown! This time, no doubt! Put it in the W column, baby! This one's over! Hey, baby! No, <laughs> Brent with the babies. Yeah! Football Friday presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. He's 82 years old. And he is into Raider football. Baby. (laughs) Baby. (laughs) That was a wild and crazy, thoroughly entertaining, freakishly, yeah, right? (laughs) Freakishly sloppy. Monday night football game. Does somebody want to protect the ball here? How many turnovers do I get to see in overtime? Well, plus the game ended. Everybody shakes hands, hugs. No, it didn't end. Uh, So they had to get back out on the field. Touchdown! Wait, upon further review. And on further review, is right. He was down at the one. question. Yeah, he wasn't in. Yeah, yeah, it was obvious. And then they have a weird interception, bounces off the hands of their own player, smacks off the helmet of another player, goes straight up in the air. Baltimore gets a pick. The reaction shots were awesome. Gruden's stuff was all over the field. Like some kid who dropped his backpack at the bus stop. The wind is scattering it everywhere. I find myself rooting for BYU, uh, the Vegas Raiders. Because I feel like they're they're our team. We have them on our station. I still think we should send get everybody together and go down there since we have this uh, games on our station. Send us all down there for a home game. Put us in that suite. And as long as we're next to Mark Davis, none of us can have the worst haircut there. I just I feel a, a connection to the Raiders that I've never had, ever. No reason to when even when I lived there and they were in L.A. when you were in L.A. Yeah, I mean I like Todd Christensen. Little did I know that I would get to know him, <laughs> I know. and then I know <laughs> have arguments with him about his fancy vocabulary. Don't patronize me. 
Well, quit using big words, Todd. (laughs) (laughs) And then he did some basketball, too, I think, and I saw him out on the road, and he was always fun to talk to. Gone way too soon, that's for sure. Yep. Enjoyed covering his son, Toby. Uh, But now I feel a connection to the Raiders. I I find myself wanting them to win. We got Lincoln Kennedy on every Thursday, right? And he does the color with Brent Musburger. Yeah, I feel like I'm a quasi-Raider fan. You and me both. My wife mentioned that to me last night. She's like, you, you can't a, be. No, no, but she's she has mentioned the fact I have like this. You have a team, and it's the Niners. I'm aware. And they loathe each other. Hold on for a second here. My wife has mentioned the fact that I have like a kind of a unique interest in them, and I've yeah. kind of described it like PK. It's just because of the connection right. between Vegas and Salt Lake He was City. a free agent. I'm he aware. can sign up whoever you want. I am fully aware. I am a... Born and bred Niners fan, but I've got. You can this, have a connection to. I've them. got this interest in the Raiders I've never had before. Uh, I, that's exactly. You need where to I'm maximize at. it at, at, at interest then, because you are, you are flirting he's with not, danger. He's not trading any allegiance. He's just bringing. I mean, we're in a community Coming where you love, love one another. Butt. You love all. Some people even love them even more than we think you should. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> There's room enough in my heart. It was doctrine back then, buddy. Don't blame me. <laughs> Don't blame me. I didn't make it up. Oh, man. I find myself pulling for the Raiders. <laughs> you a, find yourself attracted to the silver and black. And I'm I'm in Vegas a fair amount of times for other reasons, and uh, I, I, I would uh, I would think at some point I would be in that stadium on game day. For a Pac-12 title game, you were just there for a game day, BYU and Arizona. I know, but I meant NFL. But yeah, it was Golf great for an to NFL see. game day. Great, yeah. yeah, I met the Raiders. It was great to see that they've been waiting for two years. Uh, that typical Raider fans—they look like freaks. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we don't see much of guys. It's not like going to a BYU basketball game where you see people knitting, and then you see a p- <laughs> bunch of people at midcourt on suits. And some people say <laughs> both those things are freaky at basketball games. So go be freaky so at a Raider game. <laughs> Knitting at a game? Are you kidding me? <laughs> nope, right there. Oh, you got What's wrong with that? Maybe you have a nervous energy, so you knit. Right? Jerry West couldn't watch the games. He was so nervous Pace and whatnot. Pace the concourse. Yeah, so she was a staple of BYU. Maybe knitting is the way to relax you as you're watching the games. Especially in a couple years when Kansas and Baylor and these teams are coming oh, in. Oh, yeah. Man, that is going to electrify winter nights, that's for sure. And the TV people, they're going to love that because the place is going to be packed. Everybody wants a good studio audience. Yeah, the atmosphere is going to be literally as good as anywhere. Yep. Man, but look at everything is turning up roses for BYU these days. Is that going to lead to a Pac-12 joke? No. Okay. I don't know if you're leading to a Rose Bowl and, you know. Well, I had heard. Let's just uh, steal a phrase from Mr. Musburger. Jackpot, baby. I I'd heard that BYU was they were searching out other options, uh, along with the Big Twelve. Yeah, and Blaine Fowler had come on and said the the Pac-12 was a possibility, and I had heard that, and I had reported that. Uh, it was a long shot, but now they're. They got this marriage. They're embarking on a new marriage. There it as, is. As uh, Bullsby told us. Right? He did. 
Let the honeymoon begin. Yes. And begs the question, will it be an eternal marriage? Nothing in college football seems to be eternal these days. No, but yet a lot of it is. I mean, Michigan and Ohio State are still playing. That one you got me. So there's been, now they're there's playing been a lot of movement, but, there's, <laughs> but still, the crux of the conferences have remained the same. The crux of some of the conferences have remained the same, yes. The Big Ten, the teams, the 10 teams that were in the Big Ten when we were kids are still there. Yeah. Now they got four new dance well, same partners. Same thing with the Pac-12, yeah. Pac-10, the crux of that the conference. Eight has become the 10 and the 12, right. And, but the crux of the conference yes. is still there. And I can argue the SEC, too, even though they've undergone massive change, still significant portions of the big of the SEC is still the SEC. Yes. If that breaks up, then all hell breaks loose. That's what it would take. Because they got that's, it going on. That's really when you're going to that 32-36 yeah, super yeah, yeah. team. And it's massive, widespread right. change. At, at that point, the top half of the SEC is blowing kisses to Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. And, See you guys later. We're out of here. Mississippi State? Out. Maybe Ole Miss, too. Who knows? Ole Miss? What? We got the blind side? Eli Manning? Archie Manning. Goodbye. Archie Manning? Maybe Arch Manning? His grandson? Maybe Arch, yeah. We'll see if it comes to that. If it is, it'll be a while. South Carolina? Steve Spurrier? Lou Holt? Javion Clowney? Jadavion (laughs) Clowney? Didn't they win a Heisman? They have a guy, was his name Rogers? Yes, they had a was running back George? in the 80s. Trying to give me something to look up and distract or Johnny. me. Johnny. Johnny was uh, Nebraska. Right, so it was George, wasn't it? All right, we'll look it up for you. <laughs> My gosh. The Gamecocks? Come on. The other USC. George Washington Rogers Jr. is a former American college and professional football player who won the Heisman Trophy playing for the University of South Carolina. Told you, told you, told you, told you, told you, told you, told you. 1980. <laughs> Somebody had to win it in between USC running backs. So told, you, told 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 you. That's things, fun to say fast, by the way. Other things we talked about this morning. Clay Helton gets fired at USC. Does told this, you, told you, told you, told you, told you. Okay, but literally everybody told me. <laughs> okay, I'm not saying I said it. He was dead man walking since 2018. I feel bad for the guy. He's such a good dude. How do you feel about his $12 million buyout? I feel great for the guy. <laughs> He's such a good dude. <laughs> Have some massive amounts of cash. You've made a lot, and here's a fabulous parting gift. It still sucks because he wants the job, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Coached yeah. him to a Rose Bowl. Would have liked to coach him back to a Rose Bowl. But they're thinking playoff, and they have never been in the playoff. Oregon's been once. Washington's been once. USC has never been. Mm-hmm. And that bugs the Trojan alumni. Immediately, because I think everyone had these stories written, so they just, <laughs> just had to copy and paste and then upload, and away we go. Immediately, there were the analyses of, who are the top 10 candidates for the USC job? Knowing full well they've had to hire a candidate three, four, or five in the past. So you better have a list. You went to one name right away. The advantage of firing now is you can talk to anybody who doesn't have a job. And there's two high-profile coaches who don't have a job, but only one of them has West Coast ties. And you can indirectly talk to anybody, too. But you can directly talk to guys who are not currently employed as coaches. Uh, Stoops from Oklahoma has been out for a while, but I think Chris Peterson's my guy. 
and think if he wants the gig. He's choice number one. For me. Does he really want in? I don't know. I saw people writing yesterday both that he definitively wanted back in and they definitively did not want back in. Well, so I, I can't I don't get know. more opposite than that. It was totally opposite. Like, I just, an hour ago, I read the exact opposite. Yeah, I don't know. And then there's the people who have jobs. Luke Fickle of Cincinnati, who has a relationship with USC AD, because USC AD hired him when he was a Cincinnati AD. Oh, uh, sure, yeah. How about and, and, Urban Meyer? Would he pull a Nick Saban? Leave Jacksonville after a year? Or maybe after 12 or 14 games? I don't know. I have a hard time seeing that. Also, I have seen a hard time him losing, too, uh, and admitting defeat. I mean... He, he just this is not who he is, but you know anything is possible uh, for sure. Uh, James Franklin, they're talking about Penn State. Yeah, absolutely, he's on the list. And he's done a great job there. The well, point was made with him is not only has he done a good job building the Penn State program back up, but he went to Vanderbilt, a very hard place to win, and he has the charisma to whip up energy around the program. And USC wants that, and it's Hollywood. It needs to be fun. Your coach needs to be outgoing, and well, it needs to win. He does, but he checks both boxes. He's got the charisma, and he can win. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm fine with it. Absolutely. So, yeah. there's five names that have been thrown I, out there. I, right, I, away. I would think that would be a good hire. Uh, you never know, and I'm going to stay with that. That I never know. Uh, until the guy's there and he's doing his thing after you know two, three, four, five years, but it looks like on the paper, on paper, that uh, he would be pretty good. And there's plenty of other names, other coaches who've won. Mario Cristobal was one name thrown out there. He's got Oregon up and running. You'd leave Oregon for SC. Seems like that's how you get leverage and you get uh, you get a raise, maybe, but you wouldn't actually do to that. me. If you can't get Oregon going, something's wrong. He's got Oregon going. They just have so much freaking Wouldn't you say the same thing about USC? If you can't get USC going, something's wrong. They're not short on money. I don't know that they have Nike money. And especially especially going forward, the NIL, basically you're going to be an employee of Nike. I mean, it's right there, obviously. Sure. But L.A., Hollywood. Yeah, but it's like it's almost like it's too big. You can get lost in the shuffle. Hmm. Lane Kiffin's name got thrown out there. That would be an incredible uh, return to glory. Except he didn't have glory. <laughs> I wouldn't go there. He'll give you the circus, but will he give you the substance? Bill O'Brien, after he goes to the Nick Saban School of coaching. Yeah, but how many of those guys have done stuff? Now, there's been some. They get gigs. Sarkeesian got Texas, and they got blown out by Arkansas. Yeah, Loxley at Maryland and Mm -hmm. Kiffin. See what he does there. Uh, So I I wouldn't go in that direction, no. I would... I would go for a proven winner. To me, Chris Peters is an absolute proven winner. West Coast I guy. I don't think it's debatable. He's won a ton. He's been to a playoff at Washington. I think he won a couple conference titles. One playoff, one Rose Bowl. 
And obviously he's got the resume from his days at Boise State as well. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, he'll, he'll represent you extremely well. He's only 56 years old. Plenty of time for him to come in, have a good decade, hit the road. Oh, easily. Easily, yes. Easily. Yeah. That, that, that's my The other reason to choice. make the change now. You know, he's born in California, Northern California. He, where? Oh, where was it? He's a UC Davis guy, I believe. Yeah, it's up there. Yeah, didn't he go to Sac State or something? UC Davis, I'm pretty sure. Uh, let me call This is out. where he screamed, did he just say that? <laughs> uh, I pl- no, he played quarterback at Sacramento City College and then transferred to UC Davis, so both. Okay. So I think Yuba City's up there, right? Yuba City is yeah, up I, there. I, he's in, I know he's in Northern California. Yeah. He has extensive roots there. I know that. That That's for sure. That I already knew that. So, and that's, a, you know, eight, ten hours away, but he's just a proven winner. Born in Yuba City, California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember that because I've been a big fan of his for an, a long time. Yep, born and raised in Yuba City. You played at Yuba City High School and Northern California guy. Yeah. So we'll see how that shakes out, but the short run question is how much does that open the door for the Utes in the Pac-12 South? How much does it open the door for everybody in the Pac-12 South? For this year. Yeah, you can go one of two ways, you know. It could uh, just every, every man for himself. We're at the coaching staff, probably out of there. You would assume most of them are, and they hold over one or two guys for recruiting links. The, the good thing about making the change this early, as unorthodox as that is, you're the second, because UConn obviously is going to have their change. But the recruiting date is much earlier now. So if you are going to hire a coach who's out of work, you can get him and you can start recruiting. Because otherwise you can lose a whole recruiting class. Because the early signing date with coaching changes, I mean, it is right on top of you. I mean, February didn't give you much time, but a December date? Say goodbye to a class if you wait well, until the end yeah, of the year. Well, yeah, not just that, too, because everyone can transfer mm-hmm. and be eligible next year. So I think losing a recruiting class, I don't think it's as big of a deal anymore. Because you can fill in with transfers. Yeah, easily. So whoever you're going to lose... But you don't buy a lot of the transfers. I mean, the guys transferring all have baggage and have issues. You don't bottom out in the same way. But it's not the same as being USC and crushing it. The way you need to crush it if you're going to win at the level they expect you to win at. Yeah, but that's four years from now. Three years from now. At SC, do you have three years? (laughs) Well, Clay Hilton got him. (laughs) But that could be one of a kind situation with all the other stuff that was going on at USC. Right, right, right. So I wouldn't get somebody in just to save a recruiting class. No, because no, some of those guys you, are going to si- going to sign with SC anyway. But if you know you're going to make a change, go ahead and make it. And they knew they were going to make a change. That's the thing. Stanford yeah. gave them the excuse to do it. They did. They did. Yeah, and in the fan base booing and all that. It's a bad bad look. Yeah. You're going to get blown out, get blown out at home. I mean on the road. Don't get blown out at home. Yeah. That way you can get fired on the tarmac like Lane Kiffin. Yeah. They were coming for Clay at some point. There was no way around it. I know. That's, that's why I felt bad for him. Right. 
But now, what does it do to the Pac-12 South? The Utes have gone down there twice and played interim coaches before. They lost both times. SC finished 6-3 and three in conference both times. Both times USC was 1-2 and two going into that Utah game and won and finished strong. At the same time, 6-3, and three, somebody's getting them. Obviously, Stanford already did. Well, the most stable program in the South is now even more stable. Utah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these programs have been on three, four coaches, and old Kyle, yeah. the only thing different is he's letting his hair grow. <laughs> <laughs> he is letting his hair grow. Which I personally love. No, you do? Yes. Why is that? Why not, man? Mulleted back, finally a ponytail. Do something different. Why not? Yeah, let it grow. If my wife wouldn't schedule a haircut for me all, all the time, I would do it. Looking like Mike Gundy out there with the mullet. I'm not a mullet guy. No, I'm not, I've never been a mullet guy. But not just, yet. No, mullets, there's a reason. I don't like them. Your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. USC needs a player coach, not somebody like Witt. Witt's a little more hard-nosed. They need somebody that can bring celebrities in and be uh, more lighthearted than what they would need. Uh. Your feedback. Time to get you updated on everything you've thought about today's show. And there is one college football fan saying they need someone with some charisma. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about Kyle going to SC at this point in his life. I think that uh, he's going to finish it up here, and, and that'll do it. John tweets at us, USC will suck, and Utah will beat them, but ASU is still taking the South. Okay. I mean, it's not out of the realm. Brett says UCLA can make a run in the South. I agree. They got a running game that seemed to give, U- thought they could. give Utah some problems. I said before the season they were going to be a tough out. They got momentum. But momentum is uh, somewhat temporary for a lot of these teams. They've got it now. But you lose a game or two and you'll feel differently. And then also, too, uh, teams that don't have momentum can get it. Stanford couldn't have looked worse. Game one. Yeah. Looked really good game two. Yeah. What impact does Clay Elton's dismissal have on the use this season? Andrew says none. They got stomped by BYU. Any expectations should be very watered down by now. No, I disagree. Because BYU is a good team. You got beat by a good team. So Ohio State expectations are watered down. Because they lost. At home. I don't think so. Josh says Clay Helton. Being gone is going to have zero, all caps, zero impact. Hard to believe it's going to have zero impact. Yeah, I don't know that. I can't say that. It can have a significant impact, man. For better or for worse. It could be rally around and nobody believes in us, blah, blah, blah. Or it could be, yeah, we lost a couple more games. This season's going nowhere. I got to make sure I got good stats and good tape for the NFL. All about me. Yeah, because if you're getting a scholarship to SC and you're starting, you're thinking NFL. Without a doubt. Three years in NFL, yeah. Yeah, so you could see that. And Graham Harrell now, he's got to audition. This is an audition. 
He's the offensive coordinator. He's auditioning for jobs right now. And B.S. says, Clay Elton's firing means nothing to Utah as of now. We couldn't even score on the team down south. Yeah, I'm still bitter, and I do not see a light at the end of the tunnel this season. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Got another guy texting me, a Ute fan texting me, they're going to go 6-6, six and six, mark it down. I don't think they go anything worse than 8-4. and four. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hans and Scott are next. We will see you tomorrow.